This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by Dagan, Mr. Blue Moriarty. Dagan, thank you for joining me today. How are you? What's up, Mr. Green? Dagan smash! (laughs) I wish I had my Hulk fists. Oh yeah, used to have those. those. Are, did you really? Yeah, like, oh yeah. yeah. Many many moons ago, actually, a lead animator that I was working under was like a huge Hulk fan, and he gave me a set for I guess it was Christmas or something at the studios with many yeah. years ago. But they were awesome. They were so rugged, like you could just pummel those things to no end, and they would just they just lasted forever. I don't know. I feel like they don't make toy. That was probably only like a dozen years ago or so. I was going to say, we had a few of those at IGN and we would like beat the shit out of each other with them. (laughs) We also had like a bunch of soft enough to like do a lot less harm than your real fist. Raise your scooters with like the, with like your fist out as a joust or whatever. Did it make Hulk yelling sound effects or did it make bashing sound effects? I I don't remember. I don't, I think our noises were long ago broken. Like, (laughs) Because because the editor in chief when I got hired was Jeremy Dunham. People might know him from the he's the founder of Podcast Beyond, but he's also the VP of Psionics, the guys that make Rocket League. Oh, wow. So congratulations to my friend uh, Jeremy, who's, you know, they got a little game called Rocket League. Yeah, a little game called Rocket League. And now (laughs) Jeremy has a little house on the beach in San Diego. So So he's good as that game, man. I watch him play sometimes. I never really played it. But super fun. I love the mechanics and the physics. It's a great game. And I only bring him up because he's a huge Hulk fan and like huge, Mm. huge, huge, huge Hulk fan. And so he had like the fists and all the kind of stuff. Yeah. And it was right around the time when I got hired when this movie came out. So a little later. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. A little dovetail. How are you doing this week? Okay. I'm all right. Uh, We're getting everything together. We were talking before we began. I usually don't like talking before we do podcasts to anyone. I I think most people know that because I like to just it's what Greg used to say. Save it for the show. Yeah, sure. I actually think that's really good advice. Yeah, smart. We were chatting a little bit about the live show, so I'm trying to just like wrap up everything on that. I think that's really more. And I was talking to Mike a little bit about it because even she's nervous about it a little bit. What is she nervous about? I don't know. She's just, you know, she she's not she's never been in these situations before. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. But to me, I'm like, well, first of all, all the pressure's on me, so don't worry about it. Second of all, <laughs> I really think that the, like, it's true. But I think from a logistical standpoint, the, all the pressure's on Dustin and Ben. So from my perspective, true, I'm just yeah. trying to, like, get things done early. Like, we got the ads done early for Sacred Symbols. We're recording this early. Uh, I got to record Sacred Symbols Plus for next week and so on and so forth. Just So we're just trying to get everything in order so that we can go into the weekend with nothing to worry about. And then 
come back and just roll right back into the fall because it's going to get crazy. Yeah, uh, especially on sacred symbols because Death Loop's coming out and right. Tales of Arise and all that kind of stuff. Death Loop looks great. I can't wait for that game. Yeah, from what I see, it looks super super cool. But yeah, otherwise everything's going good. You know, I was thinking about you a little bit because. I like to work out, as everyone knows, before I before I, I try to lead into the show, I, I work out, take a shower and then come into the show. And I do that to like get my stress out, my anxiety and uh, to like just be at my top energy level. or whatever. Sure. Makes sense. And um, yeah, so it's funny because I was thinking of you today because I, I don't think you I don't know if you know this, but one other thing I like to do when I work out is I just sing the songs that I'm listening to, like they're really loud and I'm just like yeah. basically screaming along to them. That's awesome. And it just like gets my energy up and all that. And it just happened to be like a ton of like songs back to back where I was like, man, I'm going to belt these songs out. So it was like Madonna's Like a Prayer came on. Okay. And, uh, Fuel's Hemorrhage in My Hands came on, which is a oh, great, you know, in my eclectic hands, mix. In my hands again. <laughs> we need and, some uh, footage of this. We need some. Yeah, oh, yeah. Micah could probably, Micah could easily any day get it. And like, I would never know. She actually does have one because my, my, my playlist is eclectic and I had Miserere by Allegri come up. That's like a 16th century chant oh oh. from like the Sistine Chapel. It's fucking dope. What? It's like one of the great songs. It's Psalm. I want to say it's like Psalm 90 or something like that, but it's sung and it's, it's like an ancient song. It was so beautiful that it could only be performed in Sistine Chapel. And the rumor goes that it was something like, I think it was Mozart. Don't, don't quote me on that, but okay. I think it was Mozart went to the Sistine Chapel as a, like a teen was so taken by the song that he memorized it. And his, notation of it was the first time anyone had heard it outside the Sistine Chapel. No it was like a well-guarded secret. Yeah. What? Would I know this yeah. tune? Is it so iconic that I would just Oh yeah, I think I you would it. if you put it on. Yeah, I'll send okay. I'll send you a link. But so she said took a video the other week because that just came on and it's like just this random song and and Rush is just asleep in my like sprawled out on my uh my recliner and she just has like a video of him with that Catholic music, five hundred year old <laughs> Catholic music blasting <laughs> in the background and he's just out. So so yeah, we, she she puts up with me because I'm I'm a little loud when I. She work definitely out. puts up with you. But yeah, Between man, that and the pledge on the stairs, I don't know what's what's worse, my friend. I've been thinking about the trip because did I talk to you about this? You remember I grew up with a guy named Jeff. Met him in high school from Long Island. Skated together. Super smart dude. Ended up going to BU, and when we were in Philly, we used to go out, used to trek out to Boston to skate together and everything like that. And then he ended up going to graduate school in Pittsburgh at Carnegie Mellon. Full ride, the whole Ooh, thing. He's a super yep. smart guy. His dad's like a nuclear physicist. Jeff went into tech. He's, he actually is an entrepreneur. He developed like all these solutions for like big data storage, like ser corporate servers, I guess, essentially. And he lives in San Fran now, obviously. But we used to go visit him from Philly, Brian, my friend Brian and I. We used to take the bus across the state from Philly to Pittsburgh. So we did the drive many times, although I don't think we ever drove it. We were driven across. And right. I have to say, man, Pennsylvania is Philly and Pittsburgh with about five or six hours of absolutely nothing in between except roads, trucks, and truck stops. Like It's like, I mean, Harrisburg is in there. Shout out to the, the capital of the state. <laughs> but otherwise, it's, it's going to be an interesting drive because I haven't driven by myself for five or six hours in years since I lived in Connecticut. You know, I used to live up in the Hartford area. So, and Helene was here. So we used to make that, which was about a six hour drive. Same, same thing. So it's going to be proper adventure, you know, going to the rest areas, getting a cup of coffee, mm -hmm. a little solitude. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's, it sounds nice. We're, we're driving too, just because. Oh, you Richmond are driving? To, we are driving. Well, okay. only because from Richmond to Pittsburgh, there's no direct flight. 
So it is so, like the quickest you're going to do it, take off to take off of your first flight to yeah. landing of your second flight is four hours. So it's like, oh, shit, might as well, might as well drive. That's insane. Yeah. You can get because you have to fly California. to like LaGuardia or you have to fly somewhere. Yeah, exactly. That's wow. exactly right. You could get almost all the way to California in that time. Whew. All right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well. So, yeah, that's that's just basically what's been occupying me and, you know, just just getting these things done. We're obviously also preparing to do Metal Gear Solid 2, which has been a long time in coming. So I've been playing that. And yeah, it's fun. That's been fun. I've been enjoying yeah, that. Definitely. I have copious notes about that, too, but we'll get to that later. Uh, for now, let's get into the uh, the Incredible Hulk. Look at us. The MCU film, the second MCU film from now. I didn't realize this. Actually, for some reason, I thought this was a 2009 movie. You know, when I was looking at it, it's 2008. It came out You're like close. right when Iron Man came out. Now, yeah. I didn't realize, and I think I did know this, but I just didn't make the connection that Universal has still retained, I guess, Hulk and the rights to Hulk today. Like they just, what's interesting, and that's what I was, I was reflecting to Micah about this. I'm like, it's funny. They made the decision very early that Sony made much later. And yes. I think they were really smart to do it, which is like, no, we'll, we'll play ball and just, We'll just make money on our character and you can use him in the Avengers or whatever he's in. You know, so rented him out. Right. And Sony, which owns the film rights, obviously, to Spider-Man, was very hesitant to do that. And finally, I think, allowed that to happen. Yeah, they we're excited about maybe in Civil War or something. I have no idea when that For happened. Money. Right. Of course. And you know. I don't blame them, by the way. It's the same oh, thing no. with Fox. Fox still, I think, controls like X-Men, right? And stuff like that. I think they're just yeah, playing ball now, too. I think they still too. have their hands in that. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. everyone's just playing ball because I, I do. I have to look into it, but I'm pretty sure the deals were in like perpetuity. And I just, again, cannot believe that Marvel is so hard up that they did that. Oh, man. It's God, just can you. Imagine? It's like incredible to think about that. Oh, they were right. in fire sale territory. We talked about that yeah. with Iron Man. It's amazing. Yeah. It really is. You know, it's so funny, too, Kyle, like with the Universals and the Sonys, like you could see, like, even though this was 12, 15 years ago, there's such a struggle to stay relevant and I guess to stay liquid, you know, so when you have properties like this. You know, Disney technically owns Hulk, but there's, you know, Universal is still paying, you know, they're still paying Universal a fee, I guess, technically is how it works, which is, you know, it's pretty interesting. It's an interesting story, this film. And then springing out of the Ang Lee, Eric Banner, 2003, Jennifer Connelly mess and all that. Very, very interesting to go back and look at this. And I'm excited that people are excited because we're continuing our MCU deep dive. We're on the next level down now after Iron Man. We're doing it pretty quick. So uh, continuing our MCU journey, you know, I feel like, yeah, no, I, and a lot of people are like, oh, it's a bummer. They won't even be able to get to the Avengers until next year because of which I maybe we probably wouldn't. But it, because of the, the I put in this like 10 year gap thing, but it's my show. And I think we'll make exceptions as we as we go <laughs> along. We're just trying to we're trying to control it so that everyone's not like do a because this is the kind of stuff we have. And I'm just going to make fun of people and my, my make fun of you boys like do a do a knockback about The Last of Us Part 2. And I'm like, The Last of Us Part 2 came out 14 months ago. Yeah, so no, John. we're not going to do it. Yeah, John, stop. Stop it, Matt. God. <laughs> and, you know, so I'm trying to make every, and, and that's a common complaint. I mean, not about our show is like, this is not old enough. And I'm like, well, I agree. But I think that there are certain things if we just pepper it in every so often where we're going to override that 10 year thing, I think that's going to happen with the MCU. And I yeah. want to deliver it because I got to be honest with you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to be, there's a lot of honesty is going to happen on this show. I really liked Iron Man. And you know, like I, I and I really, I liked them. I liked it when I first saw it. I liked it a lot when I just saw it now. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let me, let's keep going. And I, I was kind of anxious to get into the Hulk because I was like, this is the one I really don't give a shit about. And you know what? It's a really Come. good movie. It's a good movie. Amen. We're going to get it's into It's a really that. good movie. 
But I have to tell you guys what Colin just said, just to expand on what Colin said too. A little aggravated that Hulk wasn't on Disney Plus because Disney should have. I understand the you know the relationship between Universal and Disney, and I know there's a lot of Disney detractors out there, and that's fair. Do what you want to do, but this movie should be on Disney Plus. With us, I was so aggravating. I was so yeah. aggravated. I was all set to watch it, and then I had to go find it. You know. Thank you. Look, it's Micah. Yeah, it's, there she is. Oh, she's running away. Yeah, she can't hear you. She'll oh, never know you said it. She'll never see you. She'll never know you said anything to her at all. But yeah, this would be an interesting conversation. I love what you just said too, because I have a similar sentiment and I had never seen it. Me neither. Very yeah, similar neither. A Nightmare Before Elm Street last week, our last episode. I didn't know going in if I had seen this or not. I feel like I got caught up in the blur, Kyle, between, you know, if you think of like the mid to late aughts, that whole period of live action superhero films, a kind of, I feel like this one got lost in the shuffle for me. Ang Lee, Hulk, the earlier X-Men pictures, Green Lantern, the Fantastic Four floppages that happened. Like, I feel like this kind of got kind of caught in that whole maelstrom sure. and sure. I was lumping it in unfairly as it turns out. So this was a treat. So this will, will uh, I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, me too. I, I was surprised. I think that the movie gets weaker in the second half. I was actually really into it for like the first half an hour, 45 minutes. I'm like, this is great. Good stuff. Especially because they were just very resistant to show the Hulk. I, I thought it was, it was, I don't know. I like, I also like Ed Norton a lot. Now I'm a little disappointed to read about everything that happened with Ed Norton <laughs> with this film. Cause I knew if something must've happened, uh, I, my assumption was, and I think his assumption or his claim was that it's a money situation. And it's funny because I was, I was reflecting. I'm like, he may be the most natively famous person that has ever been in an MCU movie. Uh, like when you think about fame going into it, respect going into sure, it. Sure. Sure. Like who else would really be there? I don't know. I, most of these people were made by these movies very interesting or, or Mark Ruffalo, for instance, was like a very indie guy who became like a mainstream guy yes. largely because of his role in the Avengers yeah. and stuff. So, yeah. So I was like, that Good makes point. sense to me if that's true. But seems like he's a he had a lot of strife and actually a really interesting quote that we'll talk about later talking about the magic of movie making and all that which i actually really like the quote he has to say about that and, and his defense of the film but yeah from a high end i mean let's just begin what do you remember about this movie coming out because I, I must be honest uh, uh, we were talking about the hulk fist and my time at ign and all that that's really the only reason mm. i was even aware this movie came out and it goes to show you that it, it it's literally in the shadow of iron man a couple months later and i, mean, I literally yeah. just do not remember that at all i thought for some reason it came out later remember there were video games i think that came out around it but yeah i never saw it was never interested in seeing it and i also have to say this like i know a little bit about iron man for instance right like a little bit about the x-men like you have some sort of frame of reference and i don't know anything about the hulk That's i know that his name is i know that his name is bruce banner right i know that when he gets angry he flips out and turns into the Hulk. That was literally it. I, in fact, I was like, who is, I was even, I think I was annoying Michael a little bit because I was like, who is the bad guy? Like who, because I was, I was racking my brain. I'm like, who is his like Joker? I don't yeah, even yeah, know. Yeah. I have no idea. And I still have no idea. In fact, like who his ne arch nemesis yeah, is. Yeah, his room or his, right, exactly. Like, I yeah. have no idea who comes from this. So it was kind of an interesting thing. And I think the movie does a pretty nice job of familiarizing yourself with, or familiarizing me at least with what I, guess is the overarching story and i was a little surprised by this too that the hulk and iron man have very similar themes and i don't know if this theme keeps going or not it's an anti-war theme and an yep. anti-weapon theme and i don't know 
if that's just like a Marvel thing. I have no fucking idea because I, I just don't know. So it was, a, it was a fun experience to watch. Well, what did you uh, what do you remember about this experience at first? And do you remember anything about when it came out? Yeah. I, again, for me, it gets caught up in that whole time period of like those lukewarm entries into the live action, you know, superhero genre, knowing at that period that Marvel was still struggling financially and there was a lot of flop sweat and it seemed like they would do anything just to stay afloat. And I really remember like thinking about this movie in terms of all those other entries that were like, you would see an earlier X-Men film or something or Green Lantern and be like, this is okay. But like, I th- I guess partially 50% not really knowing the comic books that well. And then also the other 50% of like, just knowing that they weren't doing those historic properties justice and unfairly lumping this in and just probably deciding, hey, I'm not even going to see this. I think it is a really important point that you bring up for your generation, Kyle, because you being born in 84 and people around your age would have completely missed the Hulk. He wasn't really on the pop culture radar, I don't think, at that time. Now, I grew up you know, being born in 73 with the 77, 78 Hulk live action TV series, which was a very important part of my early childhood. You know, Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno. I think of that in the same breath as the Linda Carter Wonder Woman uh, live action show. We grew up with those. Those were on TV. Those were as big as Happy Days or Brady Bunch or Dukes of Hazard. Like those were a staple on television. And I remember being really fascinated with the Hulk and that whole trance as a little kid, you know, three, four years old, the transformation, you know, sort of the iconic springing out of the iconic comic book with being so colorful with the Hulk and he's bright and he's big and he's got the purple pants on, which they pay homage to in the film, which I thought was really cute. And sort of being like my introduction to a group of superheroes, you know, thinking about Hulk and Spidey and Iron Man in the same breath because of the Avengers and having, I think I was always attracted to sort of the big tough in a superhero group, you know, the muscle, the unstoppable fighting machine. We think of Hulk, we think of the thing, you know, later on we'd have Colossus and the X-Men. I kind of think of Cable in the X-Force in the same breath. Later on, we'd have Bad Rock from Liefeld and Image and the Max, but they all sprung out of the Hulk. I mean, the Hulk sprung out of the thing like a, a year later from Fantastic Four. I think Stan Lee and Jack Kirby came up with the Hulk springing out of like the success of the hmm. thing. So it's interesting that the thing came first, but I've always been attracted to that. And also sort of like the Jekyll and Hyde story, maybe a little Frankenstein themes thrown in, sort of the ungovernable anger and the uncontrollable rage, that type of thing. And also the dynamic of having that superhero that's like a berserker or a wild card. You know, I always think of this is a this is a really nerdy similarity, but I always think of Vincent in Final Fantasy VII. You know, somebody that could is really powerful, but you don't, and it's kind of worth unleashing him to see what happens because of that superior strength and power. But maybe he's going to do good for your party and maybe he's going to turn on you and destroy you. You know, that whole excitement is really fun. And I remember the Hulk being such an important, iconic hero, even as a little kid. You know, we had the underoos, we had the comic books on the drugstore spinner racks, we had the t shirts. Like it was just as big as Batman, Spider Man you know, the Justice League when we were kids with Aquaman and Wonder Woman and everything and all the DC properties. So it was, and it was really fun that, and I think this movie was just a surprise for me. You know, it moves at a really brisk pace. I was Mm -hmm. thoroughly entertained. I was compelled. I was rooting for our hero and heroine. And I was expecting, I like Ed Norton a lot. 
I think, you Me know, too. he comes with a lot. He comes even into this movie 12 years ago, he came with a lot of cachet, right? You know, he had the, the acting chops, you know, we know him from American history X, of course, and the people versus Larry Flint. And of course, fight club, which we're going to do an episode on, I think relatively sure. soon, I hope. Definitely. And you know, awesome. 25th hour, which is a Spike Lee joint, one of my, probably one of my top hundred movies and then fun things like rounders and the score whether he's working with De Niro and, and Brando. So, but there's some, I like Ed Norton a lot. I think he's a wonderful actor. I would even put, even though I think Mark Ruffalo comes with that warmth and that charm and that charisma that I like to see in a Bruce Banner. And I understand why he plays Bruce Banner. I think he's really good in the role. I would say Ed Norton has better acting chops, but there's a cold quality to Ed Norton that I wasn't sure was going to work. And I was thoroughly surprised by him and the entire cast. I think if you look at the cast, if you look at all the players, it's really a weird, it's really strange. You see Ed Norton, you see Tim Roth, Liv Tyler, and we'll get into everybody. Ty Burrell. I mean, there's a, this is a really strangely cast movie and it works to a T. So I was really pleasantly surprised at the outset that I enjoyed it from the first minute. I think the movie weighs in at like a buck 52. It's almost two hours. I feel like it didn't. You said the second half drag. We'll have to have that conversation. But I feel like it was a pretty, it moved pretty quick. It didn't feel like a two hour film. And it's just nice when you spend the time to watch something and it's just completely absorbing and flew in the face of what I thought it was going to be, which I thought, I always think it's going to be weird to do something really crappy on the show and just be very, very critical of it. But it didn't happen with this. So I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, very well said. I, I love what you said about the, the cast because it does work. I think one character doesn't work because of his relationship, physical relationship with another character. I want to I want to talk okay, a little more about that, that later. But yeah, I, I agree with what you said. First of all, I think Liv Tyler is really great and really charming in this film. I feel a little bit bad for her beau because we don't really get any resolution with that. It's like it's yeah. kind of fucked up in a way. I love that. I forget that guy's name, but he's uh, you know, from Modern Family. Yeah, yeah, that's that's and, uh, uh, t- um, Ty Burrow. Ty Burrow, right? Yeah. Ed Norton's one of those guys where I'm like, man, I love Ed Norton. And you think that you think back to, hey, buddy, you think back to to Rounders, and you think back, obviously, to the people like you said, people versus Larry Flint. I love Rounders. Rounders is so good. It is it's such a good American, movie. American History X and all of that. Oh, this man. isn't. He's not the score, which I actually really love as well. He's so that's, good in that. Yeah, that was with uh, De Niro, I think. Yeah, right? De Niro yeah, I love that. Brando. He like, plays like a, a mentally retarded guy in the beginning, like right in the beginning. And it's like yeah, a really well, he's, scene, a, he's but... acting. That's his whole. That's right, his right, whole game. Right. That's his road. Right, game. right. That's yeah. And uh, I saw that in the theater. I don't know why, but uh, well, I guess that's that was a Frank Oz movie. Oh, is it really? Yeah, he directed that. I did not think I knew that. So yeah, I was looking at his filmography, and it just seems like a guy that very similar to what we say about Leonardo DiCaprio. Certainly not as prolific, but where he doesn't do that much. Like he doesn't do very many movies. No, very picky filmography. So I was a little surprised by that when it seemed like he was kind of wagging his dick around with the Hulk behind the scenes. He didn't have all of the power that he has now, I don't think, in the industry. So I find that a little I find maybe that makes a little more sense of why he was he was replaced, because I agree. I'm not a big Mark Ruffalo guy like he's really good. I think he was great in that that movie about the Catholic priests what the hell was that movie called spotlight and oh, okay. a, a, and a few others that he won you know they won the academy award for that but i actually liked the more not that i know how he not that i know how ruffalo plays the whole because i don't he that he um he's a more meek 
and yes. quiet, vulnerable character. I actually kind of liked it because I think that it was well said. It was dissonant from the Hulk, right? And I liked that. I, I, I don't know anything about the Ang Lee contentious 2003 version. <laughs> it's strange. But I feel like this captured the Hulk in, in my opinion, in a way that made him most interesting. I think the movie drags because I don't like combat sequences that much that are, I don't like toys banging together, you know, just like for like <laughs> action figures. Yeah. And they, and I was saying, and as I was watching it, I was like, they can, ju- I actually started kind of just like not even paying attention during the fights. Cause I like at the end, I'm like, I don't care. Like, you know, like, you might as well just put 15 minutes of fighting in brackets and a black screen and then just be like, okay, thanks. And I, I will just move on to the next <laughs> You thing. weren't in it for that. No, because it's not, I don't, I like real fights. Like if you're watching the last kingdom or even game of thrones, which is supernatural oh, in a way, yeah, but it's still realistic job. and awesome. And the, and it's pent up and like you're waiting. It's not an, it's not a movie, right? Or even Braveheart, where again, it's pent up and you're waiting for the culmination and it's a little bloody, it's a lot bloody, and it's a lot fucked up. But it's very similar to Transformers, where I'm like, I don't care about the movie Transformers, where I'm like, I don't yeah, care yeah, yeah. about these things just banging against each other. I can't, right. I don't even know what the hell's going on. And and we know what's going to happen. Like, we know who wins. So that, to me, maybe it's not that it's too long. It's like, I wish you kind of just stayed with the more subdued pace of the film. And we actually have an interesting question about this, because I, I did want to ask you... Yeah about the beginning, the very beginning, because I really found it clever. And the late Nate agrees. I think he wrote in and said, hey, brothers, M, what did you think of this movie putting a bunch of the backstory of how Bruce Banner became the Hulk into the credit sequence? Likewise, did you like the movie starring, starting with Bruce already being the Hulk? Or would you have preferred a more traditional origin story where it focuses on him first becoming the Hulk? I actually like that they don't get into the origin story because I feel like everyone, there's like that expectation. We, we often talk about it with Spider-Man and like, how many times are you going to do this? Yeah. And Batman, like how many? That's why I, I was really quite attracted to Batman's representation in Joaquin Phoenix's Joker film, because we see him later and not when he's an adult, but we see him after the death of his parents. And it's like, finally, like we get some sort of fucking Bruce Wayne. Yes. Character that's not watching his parents get killed in an alleyway and the diamonds dropping on the ground <gasps> and then like fast forwarding 20 years and. So I like that they kind of had the boldness to say, like, you don't care about the Hulk origin story. We don't want to tell you the Hulk origin story. What we'd rather tell you is the military chasing this super weapon. And I really dug it. What, what did you think about the, the establishment of the story and their choice to not get into how the Hulk became the Hulk? I love it. I thought it was a really clever encapsulation of just giving you got to give the origin because, of course, you're going into a mainstream movie audiences. Some people know it. Some people don't. Some people know. 50%. So you have to go in and give people something. But I love that they took the risk of just doing it so briskly in like that first 30 seconds to a minute or whatever and just telling it really quick. It, they took a chance on that. And then you're able to make room, you know, still under two, weighing it at under two hours, you're able to make room for the more compelling part of the story. Plus, I think Hulk's origin story, you don't have to know every detail slice for slice. You could kind of cover it in just broad strokes, and I think a lot of people realize that. You know, this guy ran a ran afoul of some radiation, some gamma rays. It turns into Hulk. When he gets angry, he transforms, and it's actually a negative thing. It's actually a painful thing. It's actually a thing where he gets himself into trouble because he's, you know, a murderous nut job. You know, a complete becomes a complete maniac, 
And the contrast between him and again, being that sort of meek, mild mannered human scientist and that, again, that Jekyll and Hyde dynamic. I think people just understand that about the Hulk. I think it's just a pop culture known commodity. So you don't even need that much. What do you need? You know, you just need to, you, you, they give it to us, they refresh our memories in the first, you know, 45 seconds and then we're off, which is, which is a clever way to do it. Yeah, I agree. I was, I, I like, I like when intros take advantage. It's not just like a vanity project. I, I, I often think about how much fighting there even is behind the scenes about the order that names are on the screen, how long they stay there and all that. Like there's a lot of fighting and like a lot of contractual stuff about that. Oh my God. Yeah. And so when you, when it's more than just that, I think it's a clever use of runtime because you don't, it's like, I hate that shit where you're sitting there for like three minutes and it's like all these names and these, it's like, who cares? Yeah. It's very self-indulgent, but this was economical. And a great use of space. Perfectly said, Kyle. Yeah. Just yeah, very, yeah, very clever. You don't see it a lot. No. And I like that. And I think it was obviously necessary. They realized it was necessary and it's cleverly written because they're not going to get into the origin. Therefore, people like me are coming in without much knowledge. Now, I don't think I'm walking away knowing much more than I did, but I know a little bit, at least. They, there's like little throwaway lines like, okay, like Bruce Banner went to Harvard or and and he has a girlfriend, I guess. And she's an, also a professor or something and so it made it made me interested in that world and i also am curious what you thought about just the kind of beginning i feel like it didn't even feel like a superhero movie i really not that i've seen very many i guess in the context of things now but i just really dug it just felt like a movie yeah it just felt like a film i like i liked how he was in brazil i like the entire intro not being in the united states much of the movie doesn't take place in the u.s which was quite appealing i was hoping it was never going to go there but here we are. So what <laughs> did you make of back, right? like it would have just been cool if it just never came here? Like, why do they have to come to the United States? Why can't it just all take place there? But regardless, what did you think of the whole Brazilian scene? His learning of Portuguese, I thought was really cute. That was like cool. watching Sesame Street and saying the wrong things to the thugs and <gasps> and all of that. I do love the scene a lot when he finds the drive. He gets he's in Guatemala or something like that. He he talks Portuguese. The guy's like, I don't speak Portuguese. And when that happened. I when I, it's funny when that scene first happened, I thought I was like, oh, this guy is fucking with him. And it's a joke. Like we tell you, like it was supposed to be a joke about an illegal immigrant coming to a Spanish speaking country. Like, right. I thought that that's what it was. But then, no, he was being very <laughs> earnest and say like, no, I'm you no, know, I really don't. So, so anyway, I really enjoyed that that opening that first half an hour. I was I was quite riveted by it. What did you make of the whole Brazilian sequence? Yes, it, you're right. It feels very grounded. It doesn't necessarily feel like your prototypical superhero film. The cinematography is great. The acting is very grounding. I love that, you know, Bruce is holing up in the slums of Brazil and trying to find ways to manage his anger and trying to train in Brazilian martial arts and he's working at, you know, it's sort of a day job in a bottling and a soda factory to like shades of Laverne and Shirley. Like it, it felt, you know, and he's got like a little crush, like a little romance going on. He's kind of running afoul of the local thugs a little bit. He's trying to stay away from them and they're not, they're not digging the local, the local gringo of the group and everything. So it felt, it was, it was really a lot of fun. And the whole time, you know, he's, he's hiding out, he's on the run. So you have that tension. Of is he going to get found out? Can he stay undercover? Is the government going to find him? That type of thing is kind of playing in the background too, which is which is a lot of fun. I really I really like love seeing snapshots 
of foreign places that I'm not that familiar with. Like Brazil is one of those places on the planet that really fascinates me. I think you think of Rio de Janeiro specifically, but like when you think of like I, just South America in general, I'm really, I find it really captivating. And it's funny that it's such a, it's so close in proximity to the United States, but it feels like worlds away. And I think they really captured that, that like they really seem to capture what Brazil must feel like, or at least that section of Brazil, what it must feel like in the film. So I love stuff like that. It feels very visceral. And uh, this movie had that along with the acting. It just felt really compelling. Like I, I was just down. It's just from the beginning, I was really down for Ed Norton, which I really don't find to be as great as he is at acting. I don't even find him that likable. Like even think about a movie like Rounders, right? Where he's like, Matt Damon is really the likable character in that. Ed Norton is fucking them all up in that right. movie. Right, but he he's giving a great performance, but you don't really you don't really like him. American History X, same thing. He's repugnant, you know. But he's yeah, he's a good villain. Yeah, he's great. A, yeah, he's he a, really does play a great villain. So it was nice to see right from the outset. I'm like, I was really down for Ed Norton. I was really down for Bruce. He did a great job. You know, I know he. You know, we will talk about you know him sort of like throwing his weight around with the writing and rewriting. And I know Ed Norton fancied himself as this historically you know, as a kid, like he loved the Hulk and he felt like he wanted to do the property justice and all of that. But, you know, all in all, at the end of the day, looking at this movie 12, 13 years later, it's, it's, he gives a great performance. Uh, I totally concur. And yeah, you know, what's interesting about Brazil? It's a country that's not discussed as much as I think it should be based on the population of the country and how big it is. It's like one of the biggest countries in the world, one of the most populous countries in the world after you know, you have India and China, obviously. Then I think the U.S. would be third. And I think Brazil's fourth. I think that makes sense. Is it really? Right? Yeah. I, I didn't even right. realize that. Yeah. Let me let me look here. Countries by population. Because geographically, I, how big is it? It's big, but let's see. Uh, oh, no. Six. So it's China, India, U.S. Okay. Indonesia, Pakistan, Brazil. But Brazil, Pakistan, Pakistan and Indonesia huh? are all within a, like several. Indonesia. Know, I didn't know that. Indonesia, 273. Indonesia has 3.5% of the world's population. Holy cow. Brazil has 2.7% of the population. We have 4%, obviously. China, 18.4% of the population. Wow. Holy moly. Very interesting indeed. Unbelievable. So, and of course, actually very interesting to hear. I'm looking at net migrants for the year. We have plus 954,000. China, minus 348,000. Shocking. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to think about a, that country just to the south of us yeah. that doesn't seem to come up very much. It doesn't. Fiction. And you know what, like, Kyle? I yeah. don't know if I'm educated enough to say this, but my feeling on Brazil, it's a little bit of East meets West, too, as far sure. as like, you know, the civil, not civilized, but economically, economic strength, all that kind of stuff, um, consumerism, all that thing. It seems like half in you know, a little more primitive of a place and half very North American or something, you know, like no, definitely, definitely, it feels like a little bit of both, you know, to me, which is an it's interesting, there's not a lot of places like that. Well, yeah, I totally agree. It's fascinating that they speak Portuguese. I think that that's just fascinating. That's a, that's a total, that is cool. You, know, you, have, you have to go back and read about the Catholic church in the 1500s and the various lines uh, that they put on the maps and how Brazil was basically bulging out towards like this area where Portugal could still go and fuck around while Spain had to go further inland. And so that's why Brazil was Portuguese. But it is it is a fascinating place. I think a lot of that feel comes from 
they just have this vast untamed wilderness in the Amazon, right? Yes. And so it, it really is like civilization. Plus, they've also, like many South and Central American countries, have embraced much more than we have their native cultures. So you have that whole thing as well, right? Like, because you have Portuguese and Spanish people, like immigrants. Plus, there are a lot of white people in Brazil. I don't think a lot of people realize that. Yes. But tons right. of white people. Right. Tons of white people in Argentina. A lot of them, you know, some people that escaped World War II and Germans and all that, but others as well. And so, yeah, it's it's a very mysterious and interesting place. And you often only see it when like a Jason Bourne type character is like tearing through yes. or some Blackhawk <gasps> helicopter strafing it in a movie or in a video game like SOCOM or something. I feel like this gave you a little bit more of a thoughtful look at it. Yeah. What I thought was interesting was the MacGuffin with the pretty girl that he worked with. That never was revisited again. I was I was interested in that. Never. I was like, I was like, whew, you know, and I, for, <laughs> but. But also, Very it was just strange. I was like, what is this? Is this going to create a love triangle? They were almost setting up a different love triangle. Then they establish a totally separate love triangle with the with the the other guy, Good which point. is also never resolved. So I thought that was interesting, too. Good but point. yeah, today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What do you think about the suspension of disbelief that this movie requires? Now, all films in the superhero genres require some suspension of disbelief, but it's a little crazy. And I feel like this movie maybe doesn't deal with it as nicely as I would have liked. And it makes me worried about the future Marvel movies because, and I'm really curious what you think about this. Like the U.S. Marines just go to Brazil. They yeah. send, they send us, th- and once it all hell breaks loose, this is an international incident. <laughs> like you can't send U.S. Marines to a sovereign nation. It's not like you're sending them to Niger or Yemen and no right. one's going to know any better. You know, like 
So I Good thought that point. was weird. It's like, why wouldn't you like get in touch with the Brazilian uh, uh, officials? They'll help <laughs> you. We're friends, you know? So I thought that was a little strange. And then later in the movie, when we get back to the US and like they're just tearing apart things and like the military is just like, there's like a shot where like a Humvee like jumps over a hill and like, I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? This would be like a, a massive incident of of epic proportions. Like the military is just running roughshod over this universe, over university. <laughs> Like, who gave the authorization for this military strike? It's unbelievable. It's just, I couldn't help. I know it's a little much, but I couldn't help but be there as well, where they do such a nice job for that first half an hour of making it really believable. And then yeah. Tim Roth, like, where does Tim? I don't even understand how Tim Roth gets in this film. Like, that's a whole other thing. Like, where? Like, there's just a random scene where it's like, and on loan is a, is a Royal Marine. And I'm like, why? Why do we need a Royal Marine? By way of Russia, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's like, Which okay. I think I read in the comic book that character is a KGB agent. But oh, why cool. not just leave the Russian origins from the comic alone and just make him like why? Like, you know what I mean? Like he couldn't be a villain and just be British. It's very strange. What did you think about the whole about the suspension of disbelief? It, it creates a little bit of a dissonance. It's the same thing with the doctor character later where they're doing all the experiments with Dr. Blue and Dr. Or Mr. Blue, Mr. Green. And it's like, cool, like they're they're getting somewhere. It seems like very mysterious, even when they meet on the steps. Yeah. And it's it's but then it gets so cartoonish. Like, I, I don't very think they I don't think they execute well enough. No, I, you got to be you got to bring a little bit of a different look for a live action film, especially something that's encapsulated inside of two hours. You know, it's not a comic book. It doesn't breathe. You can't get away with the same thing on the screen as you can on the page. You know where the whole, I'm sure I don't know the origins too well of the whole comic book, specific, specifically the stuff that's pulling from this storyline. But. I'm sure it's very cartoony and comic booky and action packed and you know it just runs amok and but when you in live action when you have the rampaging US military and literally like every 20 minutes there's armored vehicles just like popping out from somewhere and they're everywhere and anywhere and they're just you know completely running afoul of everybody and they obviously have complete freedom to do whatever the hell they want and you have this clandestine thing with the doctors and the scientists, which, you know, you got to ground it a little bit. I just saw it as cartoony and comic book. I didn't really mind it so much, but it does actually get laugh out loud funny at times when Definitely. here comes another set of armored vehicles popping out of the trees. And, you know, apparently, you know, it's just like this general, General Thunderbolt and his contingent are just, you know, pursuing the Hulk at, you know, there's no, they're, they're sparing no expense. Like they, they want this guy, they want to weaponize this technology, this science, and they're going to stop at nothing to get it. But it gets a little crazy. It's cool too. Cause you all, again, like they touch on it, but it's, it's cool. Like the general and, and, you know, Elizabeth uh, or Betty are father and daughter, which is a really cool, like they don't really get too deep into that. No, they not at all. They touch on it, but they don't get too deep into it. It's actually a really cool conversation when he's with, when he's with Tim Roth and they're walking through like a hangar or something, he's like, this is very personal to me and to the military. It would have been cool if they spent a little more time on that and him being like, we're, we're, I'm literally just doing this on my own. Like they just needed to throw a few more lines in there to establish like what is happening here? Because why would you be allowed to do something like this? It just, it doesn't make any sense. And it brought up another question to me, which we, which is answered obviously in the, in the ending sequence, which is great. And by the way, kind of a, what if of seeing Ed Norton and, Oh, I'm sorry, uh, the general and 
Iron Man together. Yeah. Well, well, I guess they are. They do get together, I guess, later on. I haven't seen any of those movies, but you kind of a little bit of a what if in, in that universe. But I was curious if they were aware in this universe that Iron Man existed. Because when does this happen, in other words? Right. Because that was the other thing. And Micah brought up this point, which is good, which is she's like, maybe it's not so unbelievable if everyone is aware that Iron Man exists now. But and because at the end, famously, Iron Man's like, I am Iron Man. So everyone knows like who he is, all the shit that happened. So when people see like a militarized situation, they're like, OK, like we know some shit's happening. People, something is happening that's not right, right, right. normal. Did you think about that at all? Because obviously they do exist in the same universe. We have that established at the end. But I was I feel I feel like I needed to know earlier if everyone knew Iron Man existed because it gave you the context. Yes, it did. And it purposely put that in there. Right. No, you're absolutely right. Of course, they know Tony Stark already in the capacity like Thunderbolt uh, obviously knows of Tony because the weapons development thing. But does he know the alter ego already because these films run so close to each other without spoiling future movies for you? And some of the things, some of the dynamics specifically, I forget. But yeah, you do. You do think about that, you know, and especially purposely not post credit in this case, but right at the end of the film, you see rdj come in and he's doing the he's doing the iron man talking about the shield there's other people you know other extraordinary people in the universe type thing we should band together type deal so it is the movie makes that very important point i think if i'm not mistaken a few movies a couple to a few movies in might spell that out a little clearer but you also have to something i thought about kyle in watching this i thought about it with iron man too a few weeks ago there's a lot of retconning going on not only because of the universal thing and the Sony thing, but because you're telling this protracted story about individual heroes, but also operating as this superhero team and whose origins play, you know, play cleanly into others and, and their meetings. It's not always as clean as like, of course, Captain America came first because of World War One, World War Two, whatever, like. Some of these things come pretty close together. How does Hawkeye play in with Black Widow? Like all these things. There's a lot of retconning going on. Only really huge MCU or Marvel fans will know this for sure. And of course, they'll know the comics too. But I'm sure there's some liberties taken. You know, I'm sure it's not so clean where it's like they're trying to orchestrate and curate the entire thing cleanly. I'm I'm sure mistakes are made and things are overlooked. And things are later retcon three movies in. I think we're going to see that more and more as the MCU plays out. Of course, we're going in theatrical release order, which I think is smart. So I think those questions are going to continuously pop up. We're going to have to deal with those things. Yeah, that's it's it's a great point. I'm eager. I'm more eager even now than I because now we got through the Hulk because I really was like, oh, God, like it goes from Iron Man to the Hulk. I, I don't know why I was just so put off by that. Yeah. Just as a, as an, a kind of in my ignorance, I guess. I do think Iron Man is a way cooler character than the Hulk, but it's interesting to to candidly and and admittedly be kind of more amped up to like keep going. You know, it's like okay, no. Yeah, we, questions we, we, will be answered. You'll get right. more questions. You'll yeah. kind of take two steps forward. You know, one, one step back, maybe vice versa. It almost feels like trying to put the zelda timeline in order it's like is it you know what i mean like yeah because they're like all different links right or something (laughs) you know it's a at the end of the day it's box office dollars right and you're just trying to cash in so unfortunately that's a cynical take but 
that's kind of what it is. You know? Isn't that the case with Zelda that they're all different links? Yeah. And like supposedly like, you know, there's like really avid fans that have tried to make the best sense of it. But then Miyamoto will say like, no, that's wrong. Or he'll say he's actually been known to say the wrong things too, because <laughs> he doesn't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's just trying to make great standalone games. Yeah, there's other he people there that have like Shigeru Miyamoto that. does not care about the Zelda timeline. I'm here to tell you that. You know what I mean? He cares about making a great game, and then he's inspired to make another great game. You know, and then and so on and so forth. But there's people out there trying to put the puzzle right, together, right. and it's like it's it's not meant to be like that. <laughs> it's 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 funny too because I, I I can relate to this more as a creator now because with the ending of Habroxia two, it's kind yeah, of sure. like a there's like a cliffhanger okay and people are like you know oh like you know what happened what what happens next and i'm like i have no idea <laughs> i have no fucking clue <laughs> that was me saying i'm out of ideas and i'll think about it later well, you will you'll figure it out <laughs> yeah it's for, up to me to figure out. i just i definitely look at miyamoto as being like i have no idea no clue what and i don't care and I, it was probably someone in Nintendo being like, we have to at least try to make this organized in some way. And he's like, all right, well. Yeah, or well, he got blindsided and answered something he shouldn't have. Right, exactly. Which, and which you know what would happen to me so many times if I was in oh that position. God. So I sympathize completely. I say know? shit all the time I'm not supposed to say. Like, and people just don't, <laughs> don't pick it up. Or most of the time they don't. Like things about games that are not announced. Like sometimes I'm worried where I'm like, how did the people not pick that up? But it draws to my mind, I guess, this entire idea that this is stronger than than I thought and got to admit that now I don't know where it goes from here but these are kind of like really early days so if it's good here why wouldn't it necessarily be good later I don't know but I am interested in just kind of combining all of that stuff together and seeing what happens as far as like because I'm a little worried even about the Mark Ruffalo thing and it's like how am I gonna feel about this and that yeah and that comes he takes on the first he takes on the Hulk in 2012 so it'll be four years later in the Avengers I think in the first Avengers film and he's good he's good in the part I like Mark Ruffalo I mean I think you know you think of things you think of turns he's done he's done a lot of Broadway I think you think of turns he's done that are more Ruffalo-esque he has a very specific I think he's very charming. I think he has a very specific brand of of acting. But then you also think of things he's done like Scorsese's Shutter Island, where it was just like straight up, you know, he's starring opposite DiCaprio, like, you know, pretty strong performance, Michelle Williams, like good, you know, good shit. So, and I like the contrast of the, you know, if you're going to have a really dynamic Jekyll and Hyde contrast, really have what you were saying earlier about him, gentle, meek, sort of that aw shucks type flavor. And then like that it. really flies in the face of what the Hulk is, which is like this aggressive, angry, unstoppable force of nature that's just going to destroy everything. I like the the contrast in the Ruffalo and his Hulk, but yeah, I think I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing you know all the players, you know the Captain Americas, the Thors, the Hulks, the Black Widows, the Hawkeyes. Oh, mm-hmm. like I'm really really excited for you to see everybody how they're cast and how they perform and how they kind of you know bump up against brush up against one another and how it works for you but we're start we're get we're getting there we're getting there right right. by the way i just have to bring up i was just thinking about this with uh miyamoto you know who who else reminds me of miyamoto is harrison ford okay same same kind of guy you ever see him get interviewed about star wars and like han solo and how little he cares about han solo (laughs) it's almost kind of sad because that's like one of the great characters in the entire so good but there's a great shot of him saying like 
who would it, someone was asking like who would win in a fight it, i don't know something like harris it was something like han solo or indiana jones and then it just cuts him and he's like i don't care <laughs> like something like like straight up frank like dead dead serious like annoyed <laughs> <laughs> He's one of those dudes, like, and I'm not sure Miyamoto's the same, or if Miyamoto's just a little more quirky and flighty and just like a true creative. But Harrison Ford seems like he's going to give it all to you on the soundstage. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He knows what he's going to impart to that character. We think of Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford, you know, uh, Han Solo, all the way down to like the Fugitive, right? Like he's going to bring it. And then as soon as that clapboard and they cut for the day and they're you know get eating their catering and shit like that, he just turns it off. You know, he does not give a crap. He's not going to embody that thing outside of his job. He leaves it there. You know, that's what it yeah, seems like to me with him specifically. I, I definitely agree. And I, you know? it's just so crazy because Mark Hamill is like the exact opposite. And you would think that. I don't know. It bothers me a little bit because it's like, don't you understand what this these characters did for you? No one will give a fuck about you if you are in Han Solo and, and Indiana Jones. It's a good point. First, right. You know. Right. I know you did all of that. You did. You did a bunch of great stuff. We of loved course. you in Air Force One. We loved you in blah, you know, but God almighty. And then he goes and crashes planes or whatever. And he almost kills himself. So it does take Moxie to be like that. And he is completely opposite from Mark Hamill, who really embraces. I just watching an interview with him this morning talking about something involved with the Mandalorian, which I won't spoil for you or anybody else. But he was saying like he, they were asking him about the fans again. He's like, the fans mean everything to me. They're why I'm here. He specifically said that. You know, he's so appreciative and grateful, even if it's an air, which I don't think it is. I think it's very genuine with Mark Hamill. No, I think but it, it is, is interesting how those two the, played two of the most important pop culture, nerd culture characters ever, shoulder to shoulder, are so completely different in real life. <laughs> you know, one's so grouchy and one's so appreciative. It's so it's a funny it's a funny dynamic. Yeah, I I totally agree. And yeah, it is. It is strange. I just that's an aside, but because in the beginning of our games, we put thank you for we literally the first thing you see when you type, put in a Lily Mo games, it says thank you for buying and playing our game. That's what it says on the screen. It's important. Before our logo is shown before you get into the game, anything like that. So, yeah, I agree. It's important. All right. So we have a question. We have a question here. OK, get back into Bruce Banner. Alex Painter wrote into us on Patreon, just like you can. He says, hey, guys. So in regards to this movie, I feel this movie is about battling your inner demons. How you can't run from them like Bruce was trying to do, but they also shouldn't control your life like abomination. Do you agree with this statement? Do you think that there's a message here? We were talking earlier, or I mentioned earlier that I think that there's a serious anti-war message in these movies. I, I'm actually shocked that no one has brought that up to me because they know how anti-war I am and how I'm passionate about writing those kinds of stories. Twin right. Breaker is an anti-war game, as we've said many times. And... So I was shocked that no one tried to bring me in to say like these these movies, at least in the beginning, are about like the military industrial complex that's like totally out of control. I mean, that's what the two movies are about. Right. But aside from that, I think that there is a meta message with the Hulk. And that's why I liked Ed Norton's portrayal, especially in scenes with Liv Tyler, because with Betty, because there's a humanism to him. He he loses it, but they don't really show him losing it too much. I mean, like he has these big epic fights. But there's like a personality in there. And I love that there's that scene where Betty's trying to tell him, like, I think you're in there. Like, I think you're in there you, when you were protecting me in the cave. And he has this really great line. It's a great. And when he's he kind of shoots at her and he's like, I don't want this. Like, I don't want to control it, you know. And so there is a real battle there and you can't help but feel bad for Bruce Banner because and I wrote this in my notes because I, I wanted to not forget it where 
he didn't know what he was doing in the first place with the experiments. Like Thaddeus makes Ross makes that clear. Like, right. We didn't even tell him what he was doing. In fact, he thought he was doing the exact opposite, which is why he imbued himself with this shit to begin with. And that's really nuts. I mean, it's very different than what happens in Iron Man, where a man just realizes he's funded war, right? Or right. Spider-Man, where he experiences this great loss, the personal loss, and this, this, this tragedy. Also, he gets bit by a spider. But... <laughs> Here, it's like, wow, this guy was lied to and he is the victim, like 100%. And it's scary. He's got him. I love the heart monitor thing where it's like he's got to monitor his heart. Like he has to learn how to calm down. He's with that Portuguese guy, you know, that Brazilian. I don't know if it's Brazilian jiu-jitsu or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and they're learning how to breathe. And he does that weird thing with his stomach where it's like, oh, shit. It's cool shit. So what do you think about all of that? I mean, what do you think that the, the movie's trying to say specifically about Bruce Banner and and what do you think about the kind of gray portrayal of him? Because I, I like how he's reluctant. It's not like Iron Man where he's stoked, right? It's the exact opposite, actually. Iron Man is like, I'm Iron Man. And yeah, it's yeah, like the yeah. exact opposite thing the superheroes are supposed to do. Or Batman, who is obviously DC, but Batman's a little more reluctant and plays by a very significant set of rules. Right. Et cetera, et cetera. I feel like there's a lot of depth here, more depth than I would have known that the Hulk was even capable of. I, I hate to say that because, again, going back to my friend Jeremy, my old editor in chief, he's a great guy. He's a smart guy. He, why didn't I trust that if he had a real passion about the Hulk? I was like, maybe I should pay attention to the Hulk. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, super compelling. I mean, because you're right. It isn't about vengeance. Is it? It's not a personal vendetta. It's not about loss. It's not about an awakening like Iron Man, where you're like, I should do good instead of lending to the horror of the world. I should actually, you know, make a change for good. It's something completely different. It's, it's lamenting that you're the weapon. And, you know, they have, I think, if I'm not mistaken, you guys could correct me if I'm wrong. In the comic, I think Bruce is involved in all of these experiments, but I think what happens to him, how he becomes affected by the gamma rays and the radiation and everything is he's rescuing somebody. He runs out onto the tarmac or something. I don't know if it's a kid or a soldier that kind of gets in the way or is, you know, is located where he's not supposed to be. But that's why he's actually rescuing somebody, I think. And he's just a scientist, obviously. But they don't, but that's not the way it is in this, right? No, I don't think. Am I misunderstanding it? Because doesn't he say like that he, he injected, the, the general I thought says he injected himself or he says it. Yes. That he injects himself thinking that he's working because he's like, the general says, like, I would have never told him what he was actually doing. Right, exactly. Which is common in, in skunk works and stuff like that. So you, you assume that, I mean, that's not uncommon. A lot of people don't know what the fuck they're really doing. No, exactly. Because if they did, they wouldn't make the devices. Can you imagine? That's kind of the horror involved in the whole right. thing, like real science or, you know, weaponizing science and all that kind of thing. No, I think you're right. And, and they're a little vague about it, too, which is okay. You know, maybe because they change it from the comic or whatever. And again, I don't know exactly what happened in the comic just from reading, but I always did think the Hulk's message, even dating back to the, you know, to the um, Bill Bixby 1970s, late 70s Hulk series is, you know, was always like a message about anger specifically, but maybe it was Alex, right? Maybe Alex is right. Maybe it's something more, the larger picture is just can't asking the question can you change who you actually are and it's just from a fan perspective or a superhero perspective he's a really compelling hero because he they they're trying to weaponize this technology and he's trying to stop it even though that's who he is and the tragedy is already done he he, he finds eventually that he can't really undo this 
thing. And it's very similar to something like the Iron Giant, right? Where you, you, you discover you're the weapon and you don't want to be. You know, it's not who you really are. And then it becomes, even in the throes of doing good, like let's say the Hulk becoming an Avenger, it's kind of an unknown commodity because it's mm. kind of uncontrollable. So it makes it extra, even more tragic, which I think makes it an even more compelling story where it's like, you know, this is really you know, quite a tragedy and also like becoming the monster, but having that very human heart inside, which it was a big part of the Hulk, you know, his obsession with like puppy dogs or, you know, there's still like a sweet natured thing, a sweet natured countenance, a heart beating underneath of that mm. terrifying monster, which is a great part of the story too. I think, it, you know, again, hearkening back to the Frankenstein story of like, you know, he didn't ask to be created. Now he's kind of stuck with who he is and you know, people treating them like a monster, you know, be, being treated like you're a monster, you know. And it's it's cool. I think it's that connection that makes his he's like the janitor and like the handyman at this Portuguese or this Brazilian Coke factory, this soda factory. And I think that that's what makes it so cool, because he's just trying to live as inconspicuously as possible. Right. Although I was getting a little annoyed because during the chase sequence, it's like how. Yeah. All right. Where he's wearing a red sweatshirt and like a yellow backpack. And it's so funny when he first sees Blonsky or whatever that guy's name is. He like, could you act any more conspicuous? He's just he's like looking around it's like, Jesus Christ, Ed Norton. <laughs> but hey, well, that was a funny scene. It's just like it is because I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Also, someone wrote into us, although I didn't use it, saying that like that scene apparently changes from day to nighttime, like constantly. Oh, I read I read about that, how often it does that also with the weather in this movie. But I have to say, I, I must be really naive because I really wasn't noticing that. Me neither. I'm pretty good like when we i was actually showing micah because i i'm pretty good at noticing pro like changes on set on, in scenes when yeah and in nightmare on elm street which was for people that are listening the last episode we did 1984 film i was like look 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 and i, I rewound it i was like there was one of the liquor bottles from the mom like just was removed from i the noticed scene. that a yeah. big continuity right continuity in the kitchen right yeah yeah i remember yeah and there wasn't a lot because every time that happens in a movie i'm like i'm gonna look for it i mean this must be a mess but, you know, there's always one or two. You look at a Scorsese movie, that's really um, conspicuous. I don't know if we have talked about this before. In Goodfellas, very bad continuity errors in that film. So nothing is immune. You know, some every every movie is going to have some bad ones, but I usually as don't I catch understand, them. I usually as I don't. understand it, there are like experts in the film industry that are like in charge of that, right? Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Continuity, everything. that's a whole job. Yeah. 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 You have to make and sure imagine being like, you missed this <laughs> massive continuity error. Thanks. Oh God. You know? It's inexcusable in animation because you're so, you know, in the in the minuscule throws of like a few seconds of cuts, like you're constantly looking at it and there's constantly people looking at it. There's layout artists and storyboard and prop and it goes through animation, it goes through editing. So if you don't see it in animation, I have no, you know, right. there's, just, I, I have no forgiveness for that. But live action is a little trickier. It's like the Starbucks coffee cup in Game of Thrones, which was like a funny ass thing. Did you remember that? When I there was know. Like a, in the I don't last know season, there's like a Starbucks coffee cup like on a table, oh, like dude. blatantly. Oh, I have and to see they, this. And HBO actually went back and like edited it. Oh, they did. Like so, like you, like there's like there's footage of it, but yeah, like, it's history. not. You wouldn't be able to find it. Oh my god! Like, not got, through their channels. Oh my god! I gotta see this. Hopefully, it's yeah, on you'll, YouTube. You'll find it if you, you'll find. Oh, I'm sure it is. If you if you look, you'll find That's it. That's awesome. All right, let's talk a little bit about the antagonist. All right. Well, the antagonists, I guess we can talk about both of yeah, them. Yeah. You were talking a little bit about Thunderbolt, but first I actually want to talk about Blonsky, the abomination, Tim Roth. Now, 
I like Tim Roth a lot, actually. But I feel like this was a weird casting decision because of this one reason. He is about 17 feet shorter than William Hurt. (laughs) And I don't know if this is in the, I don't know if this is maybe a comic book thing, but there are so many shots of them where I'm like, this is comical. Yeah. Like, Like William Hurt is a head and a shoulder above this man, at least. And there's weird shots of trying to mitigate it. But you, there's like when you first see them in their dress, like in their in their army dress clothes, like they're walking through a hallway at the Pentagon or something. And I'm like, this is insane. I don't know how, why they they did it like this. That was my one major problem. I'm like, it's fr- frankly, Tim Roth looks like a little punk. And I guess maybe that was the idea because he's supposed to come and become this. He also looks a little doughy. And I, I don't know if like I. I was surprised by that because yeah. when you see Ed Norton in the beginning, I'm like, wow, Ed Norton's pretty jacked. Now, I don't know if there was something where because I, I can tell there was a scene where Tim Roth, like Tim Roth is just sucking it in. Like you can tell. And I don't know. I just I, I like him. I just don't know that I'm crazy about his performance in here because I just don't think it resonates within like there's if you go back, I'm telling everyone, go back and look at the scenes between Thunderbolt and an abomination. Tell yeah, me it's that. a little strange. Now, again, I don't know if that's because it's like, you know, very small to very big. He's obviously becomes bigger than the Hulk. But I don't know. I, I, I thought that was a little strange. Plus the whole like British, just br- <laughs> like we're going into Brazil. It's so quick that we can't get the proper personnel to go. We're going to send some randos into Brazil and this international incident. And we're also bringing a British Marine with us. Like, I'm like, OK, cool. But that's just those are minor quibbles. What did you think about? Tim Roth's performance, which, as I understand, is also a one off. I was actually looking to see if he appeared later. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. So I remember correctly. I don't think so. I know that William Hurt does. I think he's the only one. He does. I know he comes back. Yeah. You know, again, Tyler come back. Not that I remember. That's a good question. But not that I remember. No. Yeah. Which that would have been a pleasant. That would have been a pleasant um, return. But yeah, on paper, again, we talked about it earlier in the conversation. Very strange casting from soup to nuts. I mean, from A to Z, this is a very strangely cast movie. You look at it, you're like, Tim Roth, really, as a villain? I think of Tim Roth, first of all, besides the physicality, which I agree with you on, I think there's a story behind that. But for the most part, with Blonsky, I think Tim Roth brings like a really offbeat style to the screen. And I don't know if that's because of how we got to know him in cinema. I think of Reservoir Dogs, obviously. Pulp Fiction, Four Rooms. I'm naming all Quentin Tarantino projects, but he brings a very offbeat, sort of fidgety, quirky, indie movie flavored thing, if that makes sense, to a film where I don't know if it's his Englishness or just the fact that he's a a little, his eccentricity bleeds through a little, but Mm. I don't think of him necessarily in a blockbuster film. And I don't necessarily think of him as like a heavy or a villain in a blockbuster movie, a superhero movie specifically. But I have to say, I liked him in this. I think his physical stature is interesting because like you were saying, I think the only thing I could think of too is like that contrast of being the human commando to becoming the abomination character, which I looked, I didn't know abomination from the comic. I knew the name, but I looked up what he looked like in the comic and he's really cool looking in the comic. He looks like a jacked up, merman type character you know he looks like a jacked up like like uh i don't know like castlevania character like the merman from the first castlevania right. but huge but buff 
super, super cool. I don't know if I like the look of him in the film, but I think Tim Roth was saying in an interview or something that I read that the physicality was on purpose. Like they wouldn't let him train and work out, which was actually hard for him because he did a lot of his own stunts in those scenes where he's he's already jacked up on the serum or whatever, and he's doing the f- super fast running and he's yeah, on- Yeah, those are cool you know, scenes where he's, he's like, on wires. I wonder how. Oh, is that how it is? Because I was yeah. wondering. I'm like, are they making everyone run really slow or that something? To like, been, yeah. I bet that was a part of it. Yeah, that seems like a nice practical. But it was solution. super cool. I was like, those are cool ass shots because you could good. tell it was practical. Yeah, it looked. Great. Yeah, they look really good. But he was saying it was hard because that stuff was physically trying, and he wasn't really in great shape. Like they mm. almost wanted. They called for like that doughy sort of sort of out of shape appearance. But he's also supposed to be this, you know, really cunning commando with all this fighting prowess so i'm not sure exactly how that works but the overall performance was surprising to me like he worked in the role and i didn't see you know reservoir dogs tim roth or his uh bank robber character from pulp fiction i saw like a you know a proper portrayal of a character so again it was a surprise for me that it worked so well but i don't think he does reprise that that role i don't think we see abomination pop up and it was also kind of a strange villain i don't know if abomination was like an origins villain but you think of more iconic villains like you said earlier rhino oh I so rhino Jugger- is from juggernaut rhino is from this and juggernaut are both because yeah, they're, they're weird rhino because in- they're avengers say, villains you know well, i was mean? gonna say yeah rhino in my mind is a spider-man villain he is a spider-man and guy. juggernaut is an x-men villain yes like that's, we know so, him from x-men too but everything sort of crosses over interesting you know, yeah, yeah. Enders, that's you what know? I'm interested in. Like, who came from this first? I guess I got to read about that because, like, you think about Colossus and other characters too. Like, there sure. seemed to be, and like you said, the thing from Fantastic Four. I had no idea that the Hulk was a spinoff of that. So that's really interesting. But yeah, I, you know, what I do like, and it really isn't what Tim Roth brings to the character per se, but I just like the idea of this this guy who's like he's over the hill. In fact, there's well, for a soldier, you, you know, they're like, "What are you, 45?" And he's like, "I'm 39." Right. And and it's like, "Wow, you really." <laughs> And that's you why know. he wants that. Right, exactly. Power. And I think that that was very compelling, like a very compelling angle being like a guy who's over the hill seeing and be, and not being scared, but rather being like, holy shit, Good this point. is awesome. Like <laughs> he's not scared of the Hulk. No. He's he's in awe of the Hulk. He wants it. And it was so funny because when the Hulk like kicks him, I was oh like, oh God. shit. I love they, that they, scene. I, I, but for me, never not being familiar with it, I'm like, they just fucking killed Tim Roth. Like that was like literally the end. And then there's some other villain now is going to come or whatever. Very Game of Thrones type move. Where I'm like, well, that guy's not important anymore. That guy's I guess. gone. But that was. And then when he came back in the hospital, I was like, oh, OK, like, it's very, very superhero. But I am very compelled by the whole idea of a super like his his antagonist being a guy. It's, it's actually great because it, the Hulk doesn't want or at least Ed Norton's Hulk doesn't want this. Uh, the abomination wants it, but doesn't have it. Right. And the exactly. Hulk has it, but doesn't want it. Right. And they can't conceivably transfer it to, from one to the other because one has malign instincts. Right. So it's really cool. I just don't know that it's brought to bear by the meekness that they, I guess they put into him because I noticed that and I just thought it was weird. It, for the same reason you did, I was like, well, he may be over the hill, like, you know, Royal Marine or whatever, but he's still a Royal Marine. You would think sure. that. He would at least be Jack, but I understand maybe they're trying to make that that sort of distance. What did you think about uh, Liv Tyler as Dr. Moss? That was great to see her. We obviously did three of her movies recently with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah, of course. She doesn't do very much. I, I always forget about that, but she has been very selective forever. And 
I think the most famous thing she's done recently is probably like The Leftovers. Yeah. Which I still haven't seen. I, I haven't I seen really, a lot of that. I really want to see. I love the idea of like a, you know, like a, a rapture type rapture, of event happening. Yeah. yeah. Great concept. And yeah, great. And so, and, and she's in that show Harlots too, which I still haven't seen, although I think, I think Dana was the one that said that. Oh, that I, I don't even know about that show. But um, yeah, she's been very selective and I, I really enjoy her quiet, calm delivery because when she has this these flare ups with her father, they they shine much more. And I love the scene when she well, you, I didn't know because, again, I don't know anything about these characters where I didn't know that that was her dad until she it's great. It's a great scene where she screams like dad finally or whatever. Like, oh, okay. yeah, the so, reveal. Yeah, right. So um, what did you make of her performance? Yeah, I love what you said. She does have a very quiet, subdued sort of delivery and an acting style. She's interesting because, of course, we think of her from Arwen as Arwen in the, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And she's so good in that role because I think she embodies Indeed. the elf thing, not just with her physical beauty, but with her demeanor. You know, I think she's interesting because she's so beautiful, but I still buy her as like the sympathetic girl next door character, despite the way she looks, which I think speaks to her acting ability. I think she's quite good. Sometimes in this film, for me, she's a little too breathless. Like she's a little too subdued, sure. but for the most part, I thought she did a great job and you're really rooting for her right alongside of, you know, Ed Norton's Bruce. You're really rooting for her the whole time. You want to see her, you want to see it work out for her. And she, there's, a, there's just a sweetness. You know, I, I have the feeling Liv Tyler is probably pretty cool in real life. I don't yeah, think I she's the that type vibe. that's stuck on herself and stuff like that. She just shines through the performance a little bit for me, you know? Let's get into some of these other questions here. I want to go to Mike Vernett. We had brought up the some of the practical effects, but he wants to know, it says, first time, long time. Welcome, Mike. What do you guys no. think of the CGI in this film? Do you think it still looks good by current day standards? I do. And I really liked, again, I was kind of starting to phase out a little bit during the actual fight sequences. But I like that. And I guess they kind of did this because it would make sense. Like Hulk hasn't is naked in the, would be technically naked in the sure. factory so that they... And they get into that a little later. You kind of put two and two together. I love the scene when she throws the purple pants at him. Like, I thought that was a really cute scene. And they're like his classic. Like, I ridiculous. love that. I love that they did that. But yeah, there's there's um there's something to be said about the seldom use of special effects in this movie, at least at first, such that I guess it makes it shine later on. But it makes the it makes it hold up. I'll also say that this came from an era where things are, are starting to hold up now and they still do, especially when you have big hundred million dollar plus budgets which this movie did so what do you uh what do you make of the special effects as opposed to the practical effects which are so very much required in oh my god a movie like this you can't do it you could do the lou ferrigno who makes a great cameo it's awesome to see him that's so fun yeah it's great but it doesn't work i mean that's when you look back at the hulk from the 70s which i've never watched yeah uh I, i know what it looks like and i know Lou Ferrigno from that and I know him from because he was on The Apprentice which is where I really knew him from but you're not going to get away with that anymore even if you have the big buff 70s type bodybuilder who is like ridiculously big like you just you, you need you need to portray the Hulk in comic book fashion and absolutely he it's it, I think that's probably what makes him difficult it makes it difficult to tackle because it's not like I, you can get away with a lot of Iron Man being in a suit around you with it's great yeah you know, and, and you can't do that with the Hulk so no. What did you make about the way they handled all that? No, it's got to be much more dynamic. You know, Todd McFarlane told us that years ago, not necessarily the Hulk, but we talked about with Spider-Man, yeah. Marvel vs. Capcom Hulk. 
That's Hulk. Not only beautiful and colorful and well animated, but that he needs to be that big compared to the other characters. Like Marvel versus Capcom Hulk compared to Marvel versus Capcom Wolverine is the way it should be. Like, look at the size difference. That's insane. You know, that right. that's the way it needs to that's the way it needs to look, my friend. You know? Yeah, the CG in this film I thought a lot about because I think it aged generally very well. And I was really trying to break it down and study it as the film went on. And I don't know how much of this is due to the director, uh, Louis Leterrier, sort of a American slash French American director responsible for the Clash of the Titans remake. That might've been from 2010, 2011. I know he did the prequel, the Dark Crystal prequel series for Netflix, which I think was canceled after one season. Yeah, it was. But I know he fancies himself as a very sort of fancy, uh, sort of fantastic fantasy style director that's in touch with that sort of thing it's in touch with the special effects so the more superhero-y type thing and i think he has a great eye for it i think generally the cg of the modeling is a little bit rubbery it's a little bit overly glossy of a finish it doesn't have that 2021 level certainly of realistic translucency to the skin and you know the the hair follicles and the nuances and the blemishes that feel help it feel like a tactile, actual, mm. realistic model. It's a little cartoony, but there's great weight and great movement to, the, to all the business. And the camera work is really spot on. The kinetic energy and the constant moving of the camera and sort of the thoughtful planning behind that is very sophisticated more sophisticated than you usually see like the camera and the cinematography is playing right along with the cg to make it work if that makes sense it's moving everything's moving just just so the angle the length of the shots the editing the cutting it's really working it's working in tandem with the cg instead of the cg working against the movie and standing out as too obviously crappy or too rubbery or not realistic enough even like you know we talked about the sam raimi the first sam raimi spider-man already there's a lot of that rubbery stuff going on but i feel like the camera covers up those areas like there's really great deft direction in this film that really makes the cg hold out you know we're talking about going on 15 years later soon you know so for that to be holding up to that 2021 modern hourglass you know, and it's still working as well as it does. Very few egregious things that stood out to me. And um, if anything, kind of plays almost like a style, which I think is very hard to do. And holding up to that, you know, present day magnifying glass, I think it still works great. Sure. And I'm glad you brought up the cinematography just because uh, that was really noticeable to me. Just not even in the, in the action sequences. There's just a lot of great shots in the film. And I love the shot when... Betty sees Bruce at the pizza shop and she's like talking to the guy and the guy like goes and like she sees him. It's like a great shot and it stuck with me. I was like, wow, there's a lot of really cool. I'm not very sophisticated as a film watcher, but when when I notice that kind of stuff, it must be something. I mean, it must be something there because I wouldn't have otherwise even noticed that. You know what the CG did this bother you, though, Carl? This is something I thought of not just for Hulk, but for Abomination too. like. You don't, and this could speak to the technology at the time. Maybe it was just too hard. The de-aging or blending wasn't there yet. But I didn't see Ed Norton in Hulk, and I didn't see Tim Roth in Abomination. Now, of course, as we talked about, 
in the late 70s, they're already doing that using different actors for Bruce mm. and Hulk, right? But I don't know if that bothered me a little too. It, it bothered me a little bit. Like I know it's that Jekyll and Hyde dynamic. It's becoming somebody else. It's that transformation. But maybe it would have paid off to see a little more of the source character in the in the monster. And we didn't really see that. It looks like it almost looks like a completely different thing that they're turning into. So, and I think it's more effective when you see a little bit of Mark Ruffalo mm. in the, you know, in the Hulk's brows or something, you know. And maybe, you know, again, I don't know if it, if it bothered you, you thought about it, but it could. Speak I did to notice the times, that. I know? did notice that because there are shots they they do. He comes at the camera a lot. Like so, first of all, I'm like, wow, this guy's a great head of hair. And also, yeah, so he doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, it doesn't pop like that i did notice that but i didn't know if that was you know again the intention or the way the hulk is let's see here we have a few more questions i wanted to touch on emilio far wrote in and said hey fellas this is not considered to be in the upper echelon of marvel movies having said that what would you have changed about this movie to make it a little more interesting Mm. so we were we were talking a little bit about the runtime i think the pacing's pretty good i don't have a problem with the two hour 15 minute uh movie at all but Again, the action, the banging toys together action that's necessary in a movie like this just doesn't it just doesn't do it for me. So I for me, like for my own tastes, less of that and more of like more character. I, I would have loved to see more of that. But otherwise, it's it's kind of surprising to me that this movie is not considered stronger. It, again, that's what makes me excited to see more, because if that's true, then the movies must get pretty good. I mean, if, if people really feel that way, they are then they must be pretty damn good because I think that this is Iron Man, I think is better than the Hulk. And I would put those in that order. But I, my assumption was that a lot of the movies were going to be worse moving on. So yeah, my expectations are raised. I don't know what I would have done. In fact, knowing that Ed Norton kind of rewrote a lot of the film and that was what caused a lot of the strife. And as I said earlier, he was talking about, I wanted to bring up the quote about how he said that people shouldn't know about the mad, you know, making magic or making movies is like a magic that people shouldn't know anything about like and it ruins it and he i don't know if you had read that interview with him where he was saying like basically this is kind of because there was a lot of back and forth which i didn't know at the time about like his his anger on set and all this kind of stuff and kind of rewriting the film and saying basically i wrote the film which he didn't i don't think i think he just kind of rewrote parts of it because the guy that wrote like men in black and stuff wrote the movie Right. And so it's it's just fascinating to me that it somehow, I guess, gets better from here. And yet it's not considered in the upper echelon. So I want to see how I feel about that. What do you think about that? And you have a lot more context than I yeah. do. Do yeah. you think this movie's in the upper echelon of the movies that you've seen from the MCU? And what would you change to maybe make it more so? I think it's easier for these earlier films. It's a little unfair because I think it's just a lot easier for these earlier MCU films pre-Disney to get overshadowed because as you as you go forward in time, as you march along with the various movies, you get bigger budgets, you get a larger star-studded cast as you know the characters grow and as the team, as the Avengers are assembled, you have bigger set pieces, better CGI as the years progress and you know much big much bigger budgets and more compelling villains you know 
the infighting with the Avengers that happens, like a lot of like really um, compelling storylines. So I think there's probably some revisionist history in that. I think if people go back and watch this movie and give it a fair shake, I think, you know, it'll probably, they'll probably like it. You know, I think with Ed Norton, it's interesting because I think it kind of was beholden to a conflict of vision, really. I think he was really felt like he had the right idea that his vision for the film was right and his rewriting. I think Leterrier gave him some wiggle room as far as, you know, doing that. I think it's interesting too, if you go back, like Louis Leterrier wanted Mark Ruffalo from the beginning, even back to this point in time. So that's an interesting thing that Ed Norton came onto the role. I think it's interesting that I was content to hear that it was contentious because I've seen, I watched on YouTube them do their press junkets, their PR push for the film. It's Liv Tyler and Ed Norton and Leterrier sitting together on panels for 10 minutes at a time. They seem perfectly congenial. You know, they seem perfectly at ease with each other. They're telling stories. They're giving you anecdotes from the making of the movie and laughing and stuff. So, you know, again, they're actors. How much of it is, is put on, but I'm not sure it was as contentious as people make it out to be. Plus, Ed Norton's, even if you don't like the writing of the film, Ed Norton's portrayal of Bruce Banner is pretty good. I, I could see it. I don't know how he would play against the actors to come when they're all assembled, but I could see him playing the Hulk as much as Ruffalo. Again, I think he brings even stronger chops. He just brings a different look to the role. He brings a little more toughness and a little a little less of that aw shucks, sweet, you know, maybe empathy inducing thing. But that being said, I rooted I was rooting for him in this yeah, film. It's, and it's, I was a pleasant surprise. I enjoyed it. It's surprising because I thought he was plenty empathetic. It, it, I don't know. I, 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 how much more empathetic are you going to be with the Hulk than, than yeah. that? Yeah. From, from my perspective. But Ruffalo has that baby face. I mean, maybe it's just the pure physicality. You know, he's also very soft spoken. Ed Norton's a little tougher. He's a little pointer. He has a little bit of a sharper edge to him. And maybe also, like, this is the thing, too, about film and watching movies and being critical. I think. We take, at least for me, I could tell you, like, I take the actor's history, their past performances, and I probably unfairly tie it in. Like, I think of Ed Norton in in American History X, for instance, right? The whole skinhead thing and how hard it was for me to watch that movie. Very tough movie for me to watch. Um, And I take a little piece of that. That's not Ed Norton. That's him playing a character. It's certainly not Bruce Banner, but you know, you kind of take that and you tie it in, or you think of Ed Norton in Fight Club, or you think of him in The Score, or anything else that he's been in, and you kind of it kind of it makes you sympathize with actors a little bit, even though they're millionaires and they're very successful and they're known the world over. Like you have to be careful of your choices because it's the way people are going to judge you are tied up in those things that you do and the projects that you're involved in. And I think I might do that a little bit with Ed Norton. And I think that's one of the reasons I was surprised that I liked him so much at this is that it's not Ed Norton in 25th hour. It's not Ed Norton in American history X. It's, you know, he was bringing something different and yeah, he's got range. Saves chops. Yeah, you know? He's got range for sure. He does. He does. I mean, speaking of all this, Walt Duncan wrote into us and said, yeah, hi guys, Walt. supposedly Edward Norton exited the MCU because the filmmakers with which he partnered on the film had been given too many stipulations about how the follow-ups needed to work handed down from the Marvel Studios, very much like why Edgar Wright exited his Ant-Man before finishing. Oh, but if the okay. Incredible Hulk crew and Norton had stayed in the universe, 
What would you have been excited to see from Norton's banner and more generally all their influence on the MCU, differences in actors, character relationships, or story arcs? You have much more insight again into this than I would, but I love that kind of what if stuff. We were just talking, Mike and I were, I'm bringing up her up a lot today, sorry, but we were, we were just talking <laughs> that is your about, girlfriend. yeah, no, she's also like the only person I ever talked to, but we were just talking about, she brought Magnum PI for some reason. Okay. And I was like, hey, I was like, hey, did you know Tom Selleck was supposed to be Indiana Jones? And we got into this whole conversation about that. And I was like, imagine. Now, I don't know that Tom Selleck made the right move or the wrong. Magnum P.I. was huge. So I think that it was kind of oh like a God. neutral, neutral move. Right. For right. Him, right. For his career. But I was like, can you imagine if Tom Selleck was Indiana Jones? Like uh, That changes like everything. Like we wouldn't know any different. But it should. So I, I was thinking about that, projecting it forward with Ed Norton, where I was like, there are probably a lot of people that are were pretty hung up on this. I think I'm going to be less hung up on it. I like Mark Ruffalo, so that makes it easy. But I am most intrigued by like, what would you what would happen to all of this if you just took Ed Norton and put him in there instead of Mark Ruffalo? Would anything be different? Because yeah. there's obviously no standalone Hulk movies anymore. But would anything have changed? Would would that have set off a butterfly effect that would have done something different for the MCU, better or worse? I have no idea. It's a but great in, question. But in thinking about like I was saying, like he is a very famous actor. And a very, very well respected high end actor. Yes. To absolutely. me, to me, it is like getting it is one step below getting Leonardo DiCaprio in the MCU as far as I I'm think concerned. that's true. You know, or getting, you know, someone like that. Uh, very, very. Anyone in that comparison. sphere. Anyone. Any, yeah, exactly. Like, so one echelon below. Right. Like just one tier and below. And that's DiCaprio. Like, he's like one of the best of his age that he's one of right. the he's going to go down in history as one of the best ever. That definitely. I oh, mean, definitely. I mean, 100%. Yes, yeah, certainly of their generation. You know, it is an interesting question. Like, what would Ed Norton bring that maybe Ruffalo or another actor wouldn't bring had he, what would be the advantages of keeping him on? I could right. see it being troublesome if he is, in fact, difficult to work with and not a team player. You have films later on, no spoilers, that involve. 20 heroes, 20 main heroes. I mean, if you if you take all the Avengers and all, all the Guardians of the Galaxy and they're in the same film together, sometimes in the same scene together, that could be troublesome for somebody that's not a team player because there's no way you could have 20 egos calling the shots on that soundstage, you know? So that might have been pretty destructive if he is, in fact, like that. And I think he is, I think he is probably pretty opinionated. Let's say that, you know, he's not going to be the one who's like, going to um, stow away his opinion and just go along like he's going to make his voice heard. So that that for me, that would be one thing I could see might cause some friction moving forward from, you know, 2010 onward. But that's a um, great point. It's a great you know, point. I, he's friends with Ruffalo, too, I think. That's what I, 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 yeah, I read that too. And that, the, you know, obviously there's no beef between them. And why would there be? I mean, it's not like Ed Norton fell off the face of the planet. He's incredibly rich. They're both uh, and million, storied actor. millionaires. Oh my god! Many times over. Yeah, many, many, many times over. I would assume Ed Norton has fifty million dollars or more, probably in net worth. So, I mean, but then again, look at a guy like Ed yeah. Norton, right? What has he done? Right. Two or three projects with Wes Anderson. Yeah. You don't work with directors in that sort of mm. collaboration and be difficult. You know what That's I mean? True. One of the most yeah. important. I would argue one of the most important directors going right now for the past fifteen years. No, so I, you're I, in Wes Anderson's stable, and you're difficult to work with. I don't know about that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't That's sound right. Yeah, I think, well, I think like many things, I mean, I worked in entertainment, you know, entertainment media for a long time and there were, 
you you wonder about the way the story was reported just because I know that I didn't report on stories because I knew they were going to be taken out of, out of um, context. Yeah. One of the one of the stories I did not report. I think I've discussed it publicly, so I don't really care, is that when I was writing the history of Naughty Dog, Amy Hennig, who is the writer of Uncharted and the creator of Uncharted and creative director of that series, oh, she's no longer at Naughty Dog. Okay. She had said to me that she had never one time experienced sexual like impropriety or harassment in the industry ever. She told me okay. this back in 2012 or 2013. It was one okay. Uncharted 4 was under development. And I remember my editor in chief being like, you should definitely pull that out and write that. And I'm like, there's no way I'm writing that. Like, and she and he's like, why? And I'm like, because it doesn't do any service to the subject. We know exactly why we're writing this. Because right. it's going to bring a lot of views and a lot of contention. And all it's going to do is annoy Amy and, and ruin her access. So I'm like, I'm just not going to put that in the story. It has nothing to do with anything. I don't even know how it came up. And I always think about that when I read entertainment stories and then the claims or in politics, anything where people are like, well, that's not accurate. I've had many stories written about me that are not accurate. And I'm not, I'm not saying that because I am the subject. They're just not accurate. They're not yeah. accurate stories. So I can only imagine that if you're Ed Norton, many magnitudes of fame, fortune and talent above me, that they're going to write even bigger hits about you. And so being kind of in that in that realm, I, I understand that to be skeptical of almost any claim someone makes about yeah about a creator. The one thing I will say about Ed Norton about if he is a little prickly is like, well, I don't know that I really am mad at lead actors being prickly because it's one of those things where he goes to, he goes to the director, he goes to the writer, whoever the producer, and be like, dude, I'm the fucking one on the screen, so I should definitely probably be okay. I'm not going to say that I'm a better, you know, as Ed Norton or something. I'm not going to be a better writer. I'm not, right. I don't know the filmography or the uh, this, you know, the, the the finer points of filming something, but I am the actor, right? And so it's a little different than being like a factory worker, yeah, or even like a painter, because like you are the only creative and en- en- you know person in that in that endeavor, as opposed to like kind of the synthet the synthesis of of talents. So I just think with actors, it's the same thing with musicians where you hear a lot about producers and musicians during albums being recorded, like a lot of strife, sometimes a lot of awesome collaborations. And both of those things happen, but you have to kind of see to the musician at some point, like, listen, I'm the one playing it. It's me singing it. Like, I think it was Liz Fair. She, um, who's like, you know, a singer songwriter for a long time. She did that song extraordinary, like 20 years ago, which doesn't sound anything like her. And it was like a big pop hit. And she, I think has expressed a lot of like, this was not even like a song I wanted to do. Wow. And then she had to go and like, it was like the, the single on her album. She had to go perform it on all the, the late shows and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, man, like you got to kind of step up if you don't want to do it. You're no one cares about who produced that record or who right. wrote that song. You're of course, absolutely everyone, right about that. No one gives a shit. No one knows who wrote nope. that song unless you're in the music industry. They made all the money. But right. there's like a hundred people that care about that. Right. Exactly. Maybe. It's just like in games where frankly, like no one cares who directed this game. Right. I care. But as, as, Again, Micah always brings up like most people and we've talked about this many times. No one, not no one, many people that play video games have no idea who even made the game they're playing. Like if you if you went and talked to a Resident Evil person who played Resident Evil Village, it's like a 50 percent chance. They're gonna be like, I have no idea who even publishes this game. Absolutely. And that's and that's strange to me. But that's the way people absorb. That's the way I absorb movies. When people are like, oh, yeah, that's like a Paramount film or something. I have no idea if that's a Paramount film. Yeah, the studio? No, I have no idea. The only reason I know like that Red Dawn, for instance, is an MGM movie is because of like all the drama that happened at MGM because of the remake. Like that's the only reason I even make that connection. And that's one of my favorite films. I don't know who did Willy Wonka. I have no idea who owns Willy Wonka. (gasps) And that's like one of my favorite movies. 
Right. So I'm I'm going on, but I, I kind of forgive that. If you're the no, front facing person, right. it's like having a speechwriter and then just right. going and reading the exact thing he wrote without <laughs> editing it at all yourself. You're absolutely right. dude, there's no you're absolutely making great points here. Cause I think no true creative, no matter what your at specific avenue is, is gonna be content without having their voice heard to some degree. And you hope that every project, every film, every animated series, no matter what the every album, no matter what the creative project is, you hope that in a perfect world, there's some sort of collaboration. Like everybody gets a kick at the can. Not that you want too many cooks in the kitchen, but everybody involved creatively should have some sort of, they should be given the ability to be heard and to kind of throw their two cents in and make it theirs or at least feel that it's theirs to some degree. You know, somebody's got to usher the project. Somebody's got to step up and be the leader or whatever. You got the director, sure. you have whatever. Creative directors, art directors, all that kind of stuff. Somebody's got to lead the team, but everybody should be involved in having their creative input, you know. And that's Definitely. how you hope it really is. So maybe that's all it was and maybe that's unusual in Hollywood. Maybe you, you placate a lot of people with that paycheck and just be like, "Do what you're told." Here you go, ching, ching. You got a big check to put in that ATM machine next week. But you're going to come in. You're going to do what you're told. You're going to do what the suits tell you, the monkey suits, the bean counters, the directors, the producers. They're in charge. You come in, be the pretty face, stand on your mark, deliver your line. You know what I mean? I I don't do that. I, I get my storyboards for animation. I'll be totally honest with you. I made a career off of doing this. And for right or for wrong, I'll look at the storyboard and say the acting could be better here, 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 and I change it. You know how many times people have you know how many times people have told me to change the acting? No times. Not once in my career. I do it weekly for years. Because it, it, you're making it better. <laughs> you know I mean? And it's not that the storyboard artist couldn't have made it better. They're working under a deadline too. So I think it's my job to come in. Look at the animatic and be yeah. like, all right, like I see what they're saying here. I'm going to preserve the idea of the scene, the interactions or whatever, but this could be a different pose. This could be a stronger expression, whatever. And I've been told zero times to change it because you're, it's part of the collaborative process. It's exactly. everybody's job to make it better at when it arrives at their doorstep to do their thing with it. Right. And when it goes off to editing, they're going to do their thing, you know, and it goes off to compiling the show. So, you know, so I don't go and change the character design because my scenes aren't going to look like everybody else. I think this guy should have a red nose. You know, what I mean, and this is my. You know, you can't do that. But yeah, you know, it's um, I could speak to that. It's part of the collaborative process, and you know, Ed, maybe it's that Ed Norton's not exactly. You know, look at him in interviews and stuff. He's not the most. You know, he doesn't seem like the most. Maybe the most generally thankful or friendly or magnanimous dude when he's sitting in the interview he's not like really like humble like DiCaprio or something where he's like oh it was everybody else you know they just tell I did a great job because everybody else put me in that place he doesn't say things like that you know he'll tell you like yeah I came in I studied it I did the role I was you know I think I was right for the role like you know maybe it's a lack of humility we talk about that on the show sometimes he doesn't really have that right you know yeah I think the question to people is whether they earned it or not in that realm and whether it's problematic to everything else, because I um, I love what you brought up about the animation, about kind of the sequence of animation. I always looked at writing like that, too. And I am not I have I had to learn to take direction. I was really bad. I remember having a 
I don't know that it was like, I remember when I was a freshman at Northeastern, I was already writing professionally, right? And I was taking like a, the, the, the mandatory freshman writing course. Yeah. And I remember basically being like, I am like thinking of the professor, like when I got a paperback being like, this is bullshit. Like, there's no way that these edits are right. Right, right. And then and it's because I wasn't receptive to it because I was arrogant at that time too, being like, I'm 18 years old and I already get paid to write. Who the fuck are you? You know? But maybe, I don't, do you I, look at it in retrospect the same yes. way? Like, no, oh, no. I look at it now and I say, like, no, I should be more receptive. I should more be more, been, I, I should have always been more receptive to feedback. Okay. I was not very receptive to feedback in college on my papers, on anything. Now I graduated with honors and did, did great, but I remember getting my, my capstone back, my first draft of my capstone with just, re- I think I've said this before, with red X's through pages, just like red X's. And wow. I like literally couldn't tolerate it. Wow. You know, it was about the Dahlgren affair. People can go read about it, which is this thing that happened in the Civil War. But okay. I was giving all of this Civil War background. Like I thought that's what we were supposed to do. And it was just like, after a while, it was like X, X, X. It was like literally like page <laughs> oh, after page shit. after page of all the cited written like history leading up to it. He's like, none of this matters. And I had to open myself up to be like, okay. I just spent like a month on this and now I need to do it again. And that was a really valuable experience to me. And then when I went into, you know, being at IGN, you just have to be receptive to that. And it's funny because I was, as of the time of recording this, I just published an interview with Philip Mewson, who was fired from IGN for plagiarism three years ago. And I put up his first interview. He's never talked to anyone about the whole situation. And he was talking about the process of editing and how hard that was for him to get like, you know, red marks back. And I was like, that's, that's the fucking way it is, dude. And and I, I to me, because he he yeah, he had the same people editing his stuff I did. I'm like, they made me better. I I just think you were maybe in over your head. Right. I think I think once I think you definitely were. Once once that I was receptive to that, I didn't always think the edits were right. And to your point, sometimes I was just like, oh, this is an edit, and I would just right click and just undo it. Oh, you know? okay. I'd do that too, all the time. And by right. the way, it's the same thing. No one ever said, like, hey, why didn't you put that edit in? I didn't always accept them, but right. I received them. Okay. And often I tried to look at it from a different perspective. Like, oh, I am really verbose. Like I was a really verbose writer. Very verbose. Yeah. Incredibly verbose. If you go read old IGN reviews, they're like thousands and thousands of words. Wow. And now they're like probably 500 words. You and I don't, think that there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So no, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. So being receptive to that and then knowing that there are people along the, the factory belt, the conveyor belt that are going to make it better and better. It reminds me of, um, you know, like old newsrooms. You'd like give your stuff to a copy editor. He would mark it up. He would give it to the publisher. They would put it all on the, you know, the block. You wouldn't even know you. I don't think people even understand in in news. Like you don't even name your own articles. That's wow. something that an editor does. I don't right? think I knew that. At IGN, we did because we didn't have a normal functioning newsroom and they still don't probably. Right. But if you work at the Wall Street Journal, you're not naming your own articles. Oh, I didn't know that. If you work at the New York Times, you don't name your own articles. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, I didn't like you, you hand off your copy and then yeah. they do whatever they want with it. <laughs> like that's Holy basically shit. it you know that's pretty so, that's pretty humbling yeah that's like maybe humbling. it gets published on the front page maybe uh, and maybe it's it's half cut out and yeah you hear about that shit all the time yeah so, that's interesting that's yeah. super interesting yeah because it's someone's idea your editors i it's because the idea is it's the editor's job to say like what is the snappiest thing i can call this yeah Sna- it, your yeah. job to write the snappiest thing and then it's my job to make sure it's you know, in that, in that sequence, it would be the editor's job to make sure it's being clicked on or read. Yeah. You got to grab eyeballs. So on and so forth. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And all sorts of style. And I think about all the things even Greg taught me about writing, just by being receptive of that, you know, one issue that he really nailed into me that a lot of, Oh, that a lot of people, <laughs> that a lot of people, I should have caught that. 
didn't know was, you know, less, less than and fewer than. When people make that mistake, I want to strangle them. But I used to make that mistake. So you got to just be receptive to those certain things. And yeah, then it, yeah, it makes yeah, you yeah. better. And the same thing with Dustin. Like I, so two other things I'm, I'm going on here. But with Dustin, oh, I edit his posts sometimes. Like I write all of the, the things for the shows. I, I title them and I write the, the subject. Yeah, yeah, you know, I all tell. that stuff. But Dustin sometimes writes things and I used to edit them and then be like, all right, now it sounds like I wrote it. And then eventually like I, he wrote like the letter to the audience about like the, the thing. And I was like, you know what? I'll just, you, it's fine. There's no, right. there's nothing, there are no errors. Cause I was right, like rewriting right, right, things right. to be like, oh, it sounds like me. But the other, the other thing is, is that, you know, I'm writing the role-playing game and I've had to let go of the idea that I can control that entire story. I can't, I can't do it. I can't write it by myself. And now is a, that, that has forced me to open my mind even more to collaboration because it's not my full-time job and I can't write this game. Like, That's hard. I, I have to write the Bible and, and then give it to someone. Yeah. To figure it out themselves. Yeah. And then keep an eye on it. Steer right, exactly. it in the direction you want, you know, direct it. So it, it goes both ways where like you and I are both control freaks with that. And, and I, I don't, I've had to really let go of that stuff over the last few years. Like, really yeah, you, you, you grow, you grow up and you grow out of that and you realize, you know, in our, in our careers respectively, you know, collaboration is really important. That's really the name of the game. And you could learn. It strengthens you, you know, steel sharpens steel. And um, I've used that certainly as a learning experience. And you also know, like on the, on the flip side too, and not to sound conceited, but you also know when, because sometimes in people, sometimes the people in power don't have all the answers. They're human. They don't have all the correct answers. And sometimes they're just, they're not in the right role. I mean, I've seen that too. So, you know, when the notes don't make sense also. You know, you got to use that judgment, but just being open and being honest and really just being a sponge and um, just knowing how to, you know, how to, how to monitor that, how to dictate and funnel that and filter that. That's really important, you know? And yeah. You know, and I love the whole middle management thing too. Like people that are just, there's a guy that IGN that he got fired or late, laid off like a few years ago, but, and I don't want to name him, but just a middle manager guy that anyone at IGN that who would listen to this knows exactly who I'm talking about. And yeah. What you basically did was just, just ignored him. Like you wow. eventually learned like any email he sent, like I just learned. I'm like, nope, trash. Wow. Like, and then eventually he just leave, leave, left you alone and just started picking on someone else or whatever. As a rule though, you would just. Yeah. Like basically completely. just like being like a guy that was trying to justify his role. Right. And like just by being in everyone else's business and I would just be like, delete, 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 and then just ignore it. And then it just went away. But you have to, it's very similar to Ed Norton going on with his big dick on the, on this you know, on the set, you kind of have to earn that. And by yes. me not taking the heat, it actually ended up going on other people because I was just like, no, <laughs> God. Dude. So then it just trickled on to someone else. And everyone knows if you work in create creative field, you know, you know that as Dagan always uses the term bean counters, there are just people that are not creative in these, in these industries. I, I often of say course. about Sony, like PlayStation is clearly led by someone who does not play games in Jim Ryan. He doesn't play games. If I sat down with Jim Ryan, I can expose that in five minutes, you know? doesn't right. mean he's wrong for the role. It just means that he has to trust his creative people. He's a bean counter. There are all these different right. kinds of roles in creativity. And hopefully you defer to the creatives for the creativity. Sure. And you defer to the, the salespeople to sell it and so on and so forth. Absolutely, nope. dude. And you know what? The be- I don't know why I think of Lego all the time. I'm a fan of Lego, although I'm not an active Lego guy. I don't build a lot of sets or anything like that. But I think of Lego, right? They make sets. There's these brilliant designers over in Europe, up in Connecticut, they design these sets. They know how to build. They're great creatives. Also think in three dimensions. They're really brilliant at it. They're also beholden to the bean counters because those guys are part of the process and stepping in and say, look, we have a warehouse full of gray bricks. You have to incorporate five gray bricks in this set. You know, So 
And that should make the creatives more creative if they have to deal with that. So everybody, com- everybody brings a role. And if they're doing their job, right, you know, rightfully so, it's all part, an important part of the process. Definitely. But I've seen whole places where 80% of the people seem to exist just to justify their own jobs. That's not like, you know, every, the person you were just describing in IGN, everybody has one or two of those. I've seen places with 60, 70, 80% of those people. That yeah. it just seems like that's the wheel turning the place. That's the gear cranking along. That's keeping the engine running is these people justifying their own roles. They were basically note givers where it was like, if we had just 30% more creativity here, we'd be much more successful, you know? So that's, there's, there's, it works both ways, you know, which is a really, it's an interesting conversation. I could talk about this forever because it's a really, the creative process, especially the cr- uh, collaborative creative process is fascinating to me. You know, yeah, egos I, I, brushing up against egos and everybody wanting to, you know, vying for success, maybe vying for money, uh, the success it. of the project, their legacy, yeah, their credit. reputation. Yeah. You know, there's a lot, it's yeah. a lot, there's a lot to say. It's a cool conversation. To, I like that. Used to have, yeah, I do too. I mean, used to have those conversations at IGN all the time, fights and wow. yelling yeah. matches sure. at people. And, um, I don't know if it's like that anymore, but I, I used to say this about IGN and it's not to be mean, although I don't like a lot of people that work there anymore. Anyway, they, they, mo- most of my people are gone in a long time. Yeah, it's, it's a change. Yeah. It's like a whole new crew of pretty, pretty horrible roster actually. But I used to say at my time at IGN, like, I don't know what was going on on the other side of the Chinese wall, like with product and all that. But in the creative part of the site, we could have lost half of our people and been fine. Like I, I definitely knew, I knew that at the bottom of my soul. Right. Like we don't, because I could see the traffic. I, I, I think Pear was saying like I was like in the top ten of traffic for like three years after I left because I, I wrote so much. Wow. You know? So I believe it. I believe that. So yeah. you see, and then you look, and then people are like, "Well, we shouldn't necessarily judge only on numbers." And I'm like, <laughs> "What do we judge on then? That's the barometer." Yeah, I mean, like what. What are we judging this on then? Right. If not, if not the numbers. Well, I did that. this, this, and this. I'm like, well, I could also do that. Anyway, Dig, is there anything we haven't um, touched on for- You know, one thing I want to say that this movie did successfully for me compared to past Hulk iterations that I guess you get from the comic book, but when it's in motion and it's animated in front of your eyes, it's exciting, is this fit the physicality of Hulk that I always imagined, that he's not just this lumbering- hulking beast with super strength he's also pretty agile so the way they have hulk in this film jumping around and scaling walls and running that that aggression that sort of i don't know like runaway locomotive type thing where that that sense of danger they did that with the abomination scene too which i thought was really cool i know you weren't you weren't really digging the action scenes but that one scene where the soldiers fired the rocket the rpg from the Jeep and then Abomination's like, oh no. And then he's running up the city street, moving all the cars out of the way. I was actually pretty scared. I thought that was pretty scary. Yeah. I was putting myself in that soldier's position. Why aren't you running? Like, yeah. why aren't you getting away from this guy? Here he comes. Like, also the scene of them backing up with the wheel off the Oh yeah, the and their wheels yeah. off, the, their yeah. axles broke it. Yeah. Oh dude, it's so good. It's yeah, so cool. awesome. But they did a great job about that with Hulk. Like, and as he's scaling the building, he's breaking the bricks and he's smashing the walls. Like you just see the strength and the weight come through. I was shocked that this was a 2008 film and that it was done with that sense of, you know, that really realistic sense of weight and and gravity and strength and 
menace. I thought that, that you know it really held up. It's a it's a treat because usually you see things over a decade old, and it's like oh wow, like they could have done this a lot better today. And this movie doesn't leave me feeling that way. It leaves me feeling like all right, this is a proper part of the MCU legacy. This is pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. It was a pleasant surprise, and I'm glad we watched it. I rented it on Amazon. You can, you guys out there can rent it. I think it was available on like Apple Plus and stuff too to rent. And oh, was it? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. I watched it on Amazon too. Yeah, not so Disney I, I Plus. Not that. Yeah, like you said, not, not Disney, Disney Plus. Plus. It's very strange. I think that's because Paramount has their own streaming service, and the Hulk lives there. Yeah, so you know what? I should have CBS all act. Is that is that have to do with CBS or is that its own thing? I don't remember because that's where like Star Trek is. I think and stuff, right? Or is it like now? That. Yeah, I, I think so. So I think I that has something to do with it. Confused with who's together. Is it Comcast, Universal, Disney? I don't know. I, mean, I don't even it's know. It's Comcast, NBC. Yeah, Universal, Comcast, right? NBC. Universal is part of that um, under that umbrella, I think. I know because they're in Philly, the Comcast Towers in Philly, and they're all in there. But um, yeah, yeah, Amazon, $3.99. Worth, definitely worth revisiting. Or if you guys haven't seen it like like me, you could watch it again. Or, you know, just revisit it. Nice, quick two hours. Sure. Super fun. Get a little old school Ed Norton in there. Definitely. You know? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I'm glad that we got it. We'll we'll continue to move on in the coming months to the next one. I don't know. What is the next? Adventures? Is that right? Oh, it, next oh, Iron in the, Man. Oh, in no, the chronological. Iron Man I don't think too, it's I think. Avengers. It's got to be uh, MC Wiki. Yeah, it's got to be maybe Iron Man 2. Let's see. Might be. It might be I am 2. Yeah, Iron Man 2 is next i think so and then thor and then the avengers oh then thor okay cool lots to look forward to my friends indeed well dig thanks for your time today thank you all there for your much love kindness and support of our show remember you can support us on patreon patreon.com slash last media for early ad free access to every episode of the show the ability to submit questions comments concerns thoughts and ideas to the show uh, submit topic ideas vote on others topic ideas etc and so on digging as we always do we'll end knock back with a dad joke I let's do it my friend I got one here. Now, Kyle, did you know when two vegans get into an argument, it's still called a beef? I got to get a clown horn. Yeah, you got. You should get a clown horn. I really do, do need to do that. Wait, yeah, did you we should. back when we no, recorded we had a, this audio? We had a bell. Oh, it was the bell. Horn. That's what yeah, it was. It's not a bell. Remember when I, I couldn't hear the bell coming through the audio, so I didn't know if it was, but it was the entire <laughs> but it time. it turned so out it to like, be totally fine. It was like, some I don't know, that was weird. That was a funny one. I love that one. That was our 100th episode, I think we did that. Wow. And to think we're almost, we're almost doubled that. Soon. Yep. Pretty soon. soon yeah. Dig, thank you for your time. Thank you all out there. Love, kindness, and support again. Appreciate you. And uh, we'll see you next time for more Things Knockback. Remember, by the way, if you're new to the show, which we get new listeners every week, you have a lot of shows to go back and listen to. So you really enjoy, do. Enjoy. And tell your parents I, to listen to the show. I yeah, feel like. please do. Please do. I wanted to make it a family affair. Yeah, I don't know if your family should be listening to this show. To be honest, <laughs> but, well, you know, whatever. I think it's like watching a sex scene. With and your, your kids. Don't do it. Yeah, don't. Kids. Definitely don't. Bring it <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith.
All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Becchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Tom Quinn, Jordan Mittman, Julian Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Graham Plays, Christian Rodriguez, Jad Rita, Kurt M. Gillenberg, Patrick Skipper, Anthony Fuentes, Sweaty Mitt, John Russell, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Israel Pena, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Hallen Rui, Taylor Watkins, Troilus True, Dan Root, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukum, William Holbert, Landon Pipkin, Dr. Stump, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Callan Lennon, Daniel Johnson, H-Trons, an unofficial controller podcast, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Manuel Ochoa, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja, Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Raul Melendez, Keegs, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Ben B, TB Lightning, Anti Kinnanen, Taylor Barkley, Will Hernandez, Timothy Baylor, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Evan Dalton, Zach Allen, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, D.B. Cooper, Cody Bradbury, Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Steve Hodge, Holfeldian, Ian Bravo, Noah J. Stevens, Barrett Boswell, Andrew Parker, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Mark Liberto, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Blake Israel, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Jay, Organic Produce, Travis Archuleta, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Dan Parsons, Martin Beck, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Brody Rainey, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lewin Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Yusuf, Anton K., Brian W. Rath, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershaw, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, James Kinslow III, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Phil Crow, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, David Mann, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Purdue, Patrick Harper, Madmock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 